Okay. Hello, dear listeners. Thank you for choosing to join the conversation on Let's Talk About It. Tonight, we're going to be talking about, or today, you know, whenever you're listening to this, for us, it's evening. Um, (laughs) But tonight, we're going to be talking about mental health, chronic illness, growing up with these things, and how we deal with them in our adulthood. joined today by two of my dear friends, my sisters, my pod mates. I have Sarah Gibson and Emily Gatowski. Please introduce yourselves, ladies. Hello, this is Sarah. <laughs> I'm very That's awkward because I've never done a podcast before. <laughs> it's just it's just us having a conversation, girl. Like this is like no people are listening to me. <laughs> the the three people that listen to the things that I have to say are listening to you. So it's it's your husbands. That's it. Like to be fair, okay, that's um, fair. most likely just Ian. <laughs> Honestly, maybe not even Ian. <laughs> You're Just saying that your husbands don't support me in my dreams. Okay. No, they do. You. It's yeah, no, they support you hundred percent. You did an episode on like Halo. <laughs> like, Red Dead Redemption, perhaps. Stop. Okay, Red Dead is Redemption. Red Dead Red Dead Redemption is Yeehaw just... Skyrim? Yes! It it's is. It's Yeehaw Skyrim. It is Yeehaw Skyrim. It Yeehaw is. Dragon it's- Age, if you will. Like <laughs> Did you see that it's it's basically it was like a grittier Barbie's horse adventure? <laughs> yes, I laughed so hard because Ian's been that. playing that. He's playing it for the second time now. Um, I have not played it played for the first PS4 time. Yet. And he got the PS5, so it's all like new and better. Mm, Whatever. Like we so, bought uh, Skyrim six times on different yeah. platforms and consoles. Yeah. Stop. Honestly, it's, no, it's you pretty haven't. entertaining. But. <laughs> anyway (laughs) (laughs) no but so sarah like um tell us just a little bit about yourself tell us what what brings you here tonight why is this topic important to you okay so um i grew up in a um less than kind environment so to speak uh my my parents were emotionally and and verbally abusive and that sort of thing. And so it's that sort of (laughs) set my destiny as far as uh, mental health is concerned, or at least set me on the the path that I'm on currently. Um, And also was a big factor in um, the fibromyalgia that I developed later in life. And so those are, those are the things that are uh, relevant to this conversation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, what brings you to us this evening? Um, hi, I'm Emily. Uh, I <laughs> am, uh, you may know me from other Novi projects such as Legends of Lanamora, um, and also sometimes the live streams. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> pretty much it. But, um, right now it's relevant, uh, to this conversation, um, is generally my weird ass brain. Um, my handle on pretty much everything is neurotic good. And <laughs> the reason being is because, I try my best to to do the best that I can. I, I go out with good intentions, but I'm a touch crazy, y'all. <laughs> like, that's okay. Um, 
And mostly I was uh, ADHD. I have ADHD undiagnosed until I was an adult, like a, <laughs> like a full-grown adult and mm-hmm. texted uh, the rest of my pod mates here, hey, I have ADHD. And they went, uh-huh. Both of us who have been diagnosed with ADHD for a long time, I was diagnosed yeah. when I was in fifth grade. And Sarah, when were you diagnosed? I was uh, like a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Um, and so like Sarah and I <laughs> were literally just under the impression that Emily had known. Like, right. we're, we're just like, like this is somebody who has been diagnosed with ADHD and like just doesn't talk about it because, yeah. <laughs> right. It's just, it's nope. just how things are. Yeah, 100% was under the impression you already she, know. Yeah, literally nope. she texted us and we were like, this is news to you? Like, right. <laughs> yeah, babe. We were, we were so bad, shocked. Actually. It's like, I thought we'd established this a long time ago. I'm so confused. <laughs> I mean, I knew I had depression. I knew I had, in, in well, some cases, PTSD. I knew and like, there were so fair, many other things that overlap. Symptoms, yeah, a lot of the symptoms overlap for a lot yeah. of those and yeah, disorders. Oh, yeah. And, like, that's another thing we'll, we'll get into in this conversation is, like, defining comorbid- comorbidity and, like, what that means for people and diagnosis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, hi, I'm Lex. I'm here because it's my show. Um, but, <laughs> but also Perfect. because I am I am severely mentally ill. I have, I have uh, several compound mental illnesses, and it's super fun when they like to gang up. Um, and my journey has been, has been very interesting, you know, I, I initially, um, diagnosed with depression before ADHD and then ADHD went through high school and all of that. And during high school, like I bought into that stigma of like, you don't need medicine. You just, you choose happiness. You, <laughs> you, it's, you wake up every day and you choose to be happy because the sun is shining and the clouds are out. Fuck you. Uh, and so then there was a whole process when i like getting back into seeing us getting back into seeing a doctor and getting re-diagnosed because fun fact when you go unmedicated and without seeing a doctor for a long time your adhd diagnosis is no longer valid and they have to retest you and re-diagnose you as adhd because a lot of the times because it is comorbid with other things it can be misdiagnosed in children um and so as adults they want to make sure that like that's still a thing that was accurate for you yeah especially Um, because so many of the medications are stimulants mm -hmm. which can do crazy (gasps) things for people who don't require them and it can oh, also, yeah. and also like <laughs> long-term use of them can do horrible, horrible things to your body. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause I was on, and so if you're wondering why I was the one that got the earliest diagnosis of the three of us, it's not because I was any better loved. Uh, it is because <laughs> I was raised and socialized as a boy and boys are tested more frequently and more accurately than girls are because uh, we're socialized differently. And so the symptoms of ADHD and the way that we mask and manage them look very different. Um, yes. So that's always a very interesting conversation to have. And that's why usually when you're looking at people getting diagnosed with ADHD late in life, it's usually AFAB or like cisgendered women. Like, Yeah. For me, it was really interesting because my brother is um, autistic. He's on the autism spectrum, but he also has ADHD. Mm -hmm. And he was diagnosed probably four years old. But I, living in the same house, having the same symptoms, but just, you know, expressed a little bit differently, didn't get a diagnosis until I was a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And I basically had to, like, 
ask my mom. I was like, look, I can't, I can't focus if there's <laughs> any noise at all. So I don't think that's normal. <laughs> Can yeah. you like get that checked normal. out? But because I always had good grades and I wasn't like a, you know, quote unquote problem child in school. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, yeah, she's fine. It's fine. Right. No. She complains and- every time somebody walks down the hall because it's distracting, but she's fine. yeah it was so funny because um i remember you know testing and i remember this moment in testing i was like doing this thing and the the woman who was testing me like had like some jewelry and she also had a clock that ticked and i made the worst oh my god and i like i was like man that clock like well, I made a comment about the clock and she, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, but you know, now as an adult, my mom's talked to me about this and I know this now. She like told my mom, she was like, I had never noticed that that clock made a ticking sound before. And like nobody else has ever said anything about that clock ticking before. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I like, I can't tell you this because I haven't looked at his test, but that child has ADHD. Uh, like, yeah. yeah, I used to call out songs in restaurants and stuff, and my family's like, "How do you even hear that?" And I was like, "It's right. You don't hear it. I was. You don't the- hear everything all the time. What? Oh my right? god, there's <laughs> so much, and that's and that's that's what leads you into the comorbidity with with your brother with having autism and ADHD. Is like ADHD and autism are co- comorbid, which can mean one of two things. It can mean oftentimes you have them both mm-hmm. or it can mean the symptomology is very close, closely related. They look very similar together. Um, and a lot of, a lot of girls who do get a lot of girls and women who do get diagnosed with ADHD often also have autism, but because mm-hmm. girls mask differently than boys, they don't get diagnosed. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. 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 I mean, do we want to, like, we can, let's stay with ADHD for a minute since we all yeah. rehab it. Yeah, let's uh, sit like, in it. Yeah, 100%. Let's sit in it. <laughs> like, um, let's sit on that. Let- <laughs> yes. There's so the much ways to do that. I know, perfect. I love it. I love it so much. It's, um, the new, it's the new button, and it's just going to be an ass, and then a banner that says, Lex, sit on that. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes. So <laughs> along with ADHD, so I I simply just thought like, well, I, I can sit still. I can read a book. Mm-hmm. Like I can do I had a friend growing up um who had ADHD and I knew that she did. I knew she took medicine for it. And like she had explained to me before that like she had issues like she was like, I can't like just focus on something. Like I can't just read a book. Like, and that's mm-hmm. the example she used. And I vividly remember her saying, like, I can't just focus and read a book because anytime, like, I'm I'm constantly all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I can do that. And for some reason, my brain was like, okay, well, that's the that's the standard. Can right. I read a book? And I was right. like, yeah, I could hyper fixate on a fucking book <laughs> and read for six hours at a time without exactly. getting up to pee or eat or anything. Exactly. Or anything. Yeah. And I was like, so obviously I don't have ADHD. I can sit hey. still. I can, I'm not super talkative. I'm actually pretty quiet. Most of my teachers would say like, Emily needs to like fucking talk. Like what the hell? <laughs> Interact with, get friends. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, but, but that's, nice. that's the thing is like, so that's one of the, like, just take the, take the talkative, like talkative hyper 
overactive symptom, like take that and let's apply that to both boys and girls. And then let's look at the way that the, that like girls are talked to and boys are talked to about those things. Like girls, you know, very early on figure out, Oh, I'm not supposed to have too many opinions about too many things. Mm-hmm. Like very early on, like, and like from both their peers, like the little boys who are being gross about girls having cooties and talking too much. And <sighs> from like parents and, and it's, it's very much like girls are taught more empathy and more like self-awareness than young boys typically are. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a parent. I have, you know, I ha- I come from a very large family and I have been, you know, a caretaker. And so I do have opinions on this. I do like, I don't think, I obviously don't think you raise your children blind to the disadvantages of being a woman in the world. Like you don't have a little girl and teach her that everything is always fine and you're going to be fine and you can trust everybody, but you also don't teach her to diminish herself. Right. And like, you shouldn't, you know, be teaching girls to be cognizant of like, well, how did you make that person feel and not doing the same thing for a little boy? And you shouldn't be, you know, telling a little girl not to be rambunctious because little girls don't play like that. Like, no, it's play. Like, they should be allowed to just play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also um, the way we, like, actually see these symptoms. Like, when girls Mm -hmm. are talkative and stuff, it's just written on the report card, like, Susie needs to stop talking so much. Like, and that's just something that we expect from girls. So that's Mm -hmm. not seen as a symptom. And yet when little boys are talking so much, they're, like, they're disruptive. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. like, they – and then it's like, okay, well, you might have ADHD, but the little girl who can't stop talking is just a busybody. Yeah. And it's and it, weird how we it, brand kids like that. It's so mm-hmm. strange, right? Because, and so, like, I, it's so funny that you mentioned, like, the way that it's written on a report card. Because, you know, while I, like, so, <laughs> uh, let's talk, let's also talk about the comorbidity of ADHD and, like, gifted kids as well. Because, like, mm. this was a thing is, like, I would be, like, I would be done with my work. Like I would be Mm -hmm. done with my work and I would want to talk to my friends and I would want to do something else because I'm fucking done. And I literally like, I like the, Oh God, I went, so I went, I am originally from rural Alabama. I am from a little town in Alabama called Cleveland, Alabama. When we lived there, there were less than, there were less than a thousand people in that town. I am certain. Um, That sounds terrible. I mean, like, I didn't know that it was terrible. Like, it was fine for me. Um, Honestly, like, Cleveland was probably the last, like, moment of my childhood untouched by depression. (laughs) Man. Like, it was very, it was very much so, like, very much one of those towns where, like, everybody knows everybody and everybody knows your business. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, it was like everybody knew me, and like, honestly, like, it was very, it was, it was better because of my undiagnosed, untreated ADHD. My father, uh, coached basketball and sports and stuff, and I would disappear. Like, I, because it, and it wasn't like, a malicious thing. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm going to get away from them. No, like literally like I would see something, it would catch my eye. I'm going to go play with that. I'm going to go do that. Like it's literally the ADHD. And so Mm -hmm. it literally saved, it probably saved my life living in a small town like that, where, you know, my parents could turn around be like, where's Lex? And somebody would be like, Oh, well they're, you know, over there that we just saw them, you know, they're climbing the tree in the front of the school. Like, okay, at least we know where they are, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's one thing that, um, 
that my mom always used to talk about also with, with my brother is that, cause I am 19 months younger. So we were very close age difference. And when a lot of times autistic children develop certain things a little bit slower. So there's like some points we, we like weren't, neither of us were walking, but then all of a sudden he was walking, but I wasn't quite there. So like he would bolt in a restaurant and she'd set him down and he'd just start running. And, and obviously he found, saw something that he wanted to go and check out, but she's got me who's not quite ready to walk yet. But like, like do, do I run with the one child under my arm, like a football to catch the other? How do I, it was just, it was just really interesting because I never did that. Yeah. And so it kind of goes back to the, like, everybody Mm -hmm. presents a little bit differently. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's so much more than what people think. I would get like overwhelmed and just kind of sink in. And I think too many, I have, I've never been formally diagnosed as part of the autistic spectrum, but I have personally diagnosed myself as that after the most, more and more and more I find out about it, my body and mind this year, which has been insane. Like, mm-hmm. figuring yeah. out I had ADHD was just like, it's like somebody took a curtain off of my whole life. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, maybe I'm not just a, like a, a shitty, lazy asshole. Like, maybe I'm like, maybe my brain just works differently. And it, mm-hmm. it's been helpful, not just in like medication. Like, yes, I got on medication and it was great. Like, that has been super helpful. The first mm-hmm. day I took it, I was like, y'all better watch the fuck out. Y'all thought I was good before. I can pay right. attention now. Like, <laughs> I have superpowers. And it's, um, yeah. But besides that, it's helped me just real like realize I can work with my brain, move with the flow of mm-hmm. the stream rather than trying to just beat it into submission. It yes. doesn't work. So it doesn't. I everything my basket in the bathroom. And what that means is that basically I used to have this issue where I had clothes everywhere. Everywhere clothes. I don't know why. I take them off. They just go on the floor. Because, and then I realized that with ADHD, a lot of times it's hard to do things that require two steps. So if you have to walk in the other room and put it somewhere or open a door and put it somewhere, that's, that's too many steps. Your brain's going to be like, I'll do it later. And you mm-hmm. won't. But if I put a basket in the bathroom or <laughs> okay, in, John in the bedroom and in the bedroom and in my closet, like a ba- I have baskets everywhere and I just throw my clothes there. I don't have to worry about going anywhere. Yeah, it's weird to have a random basket sitting like in the bathroom that's got clothes in it and stuff, but it's better than all of them all over the floor. Right. Like, so anytime I need like a shortcut, like how do I fix this? Like, and I have yes. never, I have not ever dealt with clothes on the floor again. So every Amazing. time I'm trying to figure out like, how do I get around this? I'm always like, what's my what's basket, my basket in, the in the bathroom? Yes, yeah. I love that. I, I have had to do that. I have an issue where if, if I don't see the thing, I forget that it exists. You know, object, object permanence. permanence is uh-huh. terrible with ADHD. And it's not just so bad. It's not just down to it's not just down to like oh where where did I set that where did I set that thing because yeah like we doesn't dro- exist anymore we drop things into the void but that the same is can also be said for our relationships and like they've done studies on this that is why ADHD ADHD people we will like fo- like we will form these flashbulb friendships with people and be like super close super fast and like love them and like whatever whatever and then not talk to them for a month but the next time we see them we can pick that thread back up because oh my god you know they're in front of us now so everything is in front of you again exactly it's like oh my god i love this person hi we have so much to catch up on oh my god so much has happened because we have like our concept of time would like we literally see time so differently yeah Uh, so so some of the things that i i had issues with is um 
like wearing all of the jewelry that I have or <laughs> using all the makeup that I have. So what I did is I got clear containers mm. so that I can look and see what I have without having to open a thing yes. or leave it all out on the counter, which drives my very neat husband crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that, that has helped me tremendously. It is just finding little things like that, mm-hmm. that it just takes yeah. one little step off and it can make such a huge difference. But until you know that that's what you need, you're just kind of like, Right. And, and why what's, I what's, why am I just stupid? <laughs> yes. And that's the thing is like we're not stupid. So like, not. And it's and what what's so funny about it and and the thing that like you talk to ADHD person after ADHD person and they'll tell you the same thing the thing that changes it for all of us is when we stop trying to make our brain work like other people's and we start working the way that our brain just works like it's we have to figure those things out and I you know it's there is a very marked difference in the way that I'm able to perform on and off medication. And just because like it is, and it's crazy, especially when you, you know, when you're working multiple jobs and you're balancing a personal life, it gets to the point where it's like, um, okay, I'm trying to do this thing. Oh, but I have to do this thing. So I have to do this thing later. And then that thing disappears unless you're setting reminders in your phone and like lists on your phone. And that's another thing for me is like, you were talking about how, you know, if it's more than two steps, it's so much. Um, but also if it's no steps, it's awful. Cleaning is super overwhelming for me because there isn't a set list of you clean this and then you clean that and then it's this and then it's this and then it's done. Um, So instead you bounce around for three hours and only get a little bit done, but nothing really actually gets accomplished. Yeah. I I love this song. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I hate this song, but it's stuck in my head. All the time. Yes. Forever. Yeah. I have to make a, a plan before I do anything that is is mm-hmm. like that. That's just like a overarching mm-hmm. goal. It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, I need clean counter no. and then the cabinets and then the floor mm-hmm. and then I need the, a list. Yeah. I need like yeah. a, a physical like pen and paper list and I can't mm-hmm. put it on my phone. It yeah. has to yeah. be a pen and paper list. Everyone's always like, use the use your phone, use your phone calendar. Okay, first yeah. of all, fuck you. Whoever used Google Calendar, the way it's set up, whoever designed it. We need to talk. It's <laughs> awful, awful. Yeah, it's not great. Awful, awful, awful. And to set, it takes so long to set stuff in my calendar. There's no fucking way. I have a calendar in my purse. I use it. I write up. Use a pen. Yeah. Because it's it's quicker. And it, because doing well, and it also, my phone takes like 16 it, steps. Sometimes mm-hmm. I find that like physical writing of things just helps, it helps it stick better. better anyway. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So that's why, like, even with school, um, I. I take my notes on my iPad, but I use a pen so that I'm like physically writing it. And even sometimes when like doing community theater or anything like that, if I want to try to remember lines, I will physically write them out with my hand. And I feel like that, that just sometimes sets mm-hmm. things in a little bit better. So there's multiple reasons. Uh, Best very funny because calendar is a good idea. <laughs> it's very funny because I'm, I'm an auditory <laughs> learner and that's always been how I've been. So like I was about school, to be like Bestie, I'm I'm so afraid to tell you this, but like I like all of the productions I've ever been in, 
I don't study lines at home. Like I will run, like That's I will so get together. I, I will get together with people and I'll be like, let's run lines. And like, I will run them at the rehearsals and then I have them. Like I have so never funny. been one of those people that has, has to like sit at home writing the lines or note. Like the only notes <laughs> I that I write. make in my scripts are like, um, Oh, I think this was the motivation here and this, that, but largely I just, yeah, it's just wow. that auditory I- element. I don't know what it is about the auditory element. It's always like, even in school, I can't take notes because if mm-hmm. I take notes, I'm not paying attention. And then I, I physically cannot remember what you said, but I have notes of shit I don't remember writing. <laughs> no, I do, I do have an issue with that sometimes, which is one thing that has been really great about most of the time, most of my virtual classes is that I can pause it. Yes! Finish my thought and then start it. So actually, when we're, we go back to in-person next semester, I'm not sure how I'm going to do oh, it. Yeah, that would have been, that been gotten, revolutionary, actually. Right? But it's that, that specific thing has become more of an issue as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. And I think with the compounding of the depression and the fibromyalgia brain fog and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be, a, that'll be interesting. I, didn't, mm-hmm. I'm, I, didn't, I had not thought about that. Before. Well, that's fun. I'm glad we could send you down that train of thought today. Yeah, I'll be. Uh, what my you know mother what I'm about on trying to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> what my sure. mother, what my mother used to do, and like she was never formally diagnosed with ADHD, and I don't really think she would have it. Um, but what she used to do is she used to take a tape recorder into her lecture, and she would like just record on that tape recorder and then she would you know just very much engage in the lesson and then when she would go she would go home and make her notes and she would be able to press play and press stop on that recorder and that's that's how she did that yeah that sounds not a bad idea i I would do yeah i could probably do that on my ipad too yeah and honestly i my generic tablet product do we have a thing about I don't expect to be sponsored by Apple at any point. <laughs> Just checking. Honestly, I hope we're not. Fuck Apple. I'm going on record right now. I mean, yeah, though. Like, C- Steve Jobs, that's sad or whatever, but fuck your company. And like, that's sad or whatever. <laughs> Shut up. Okay, we're six minutes in. So uh, let's uh, move on to another mental illness. What do you say, guys? Yeah, cool. so, so Round two. S- Sarah brought up, you know, the way that her depression and the fibromyalgia kind of stacks on top of uh, – a little bit stacks on top of her ADHD. Listen to me mm-hmm. talk, guys. I am a master orator. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like that's – you know, I am not sure whether or not – depression is still a part of my um, mental illness rainbow uh, because so so I I was diagnosed with depression when I was, I got diagnosed with ADHD like the end of my fourth grade year. And I think I was diagnosed with depression earlier that year or the year before. I think, I think it was just earlier that year. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because that is no, I'm trying to think about when my parents found out I was self-harming. Because um, all of that is wrapped up together and all uh-huh. and my entire perception of time is, is non-existent. And like, yes. and that's, a, and that is also due to the PTSD, the like childhood. And the thing is, is like, here's the thing. I love my parents and they love me. And we are in a place today where we never were before. But it is it is a lot easier to traumatize 
traumatize a child than anyone thinks. And by nature of going through what I went through from the bullies at school and being beaten up and ostracized for being queer before I even knew what that was and coming home to a home that, you know, espoused those same ideas, maybe not directly at me, but like generally. Um, And then, you know, you add on to that, coming out later and like the this fear of all of that being stripped away from you like my entire childhood i lived in like a state of fear rather if it was like for things at home or things outside of or outside of the home so like that's a long-term complex trauma which colors the way that you form memories and so i have Mm -hmm. memories of things that happened um and i can remember the event but i could not tell you where in the timeline of my life that really fell unless there's mm-hmm. something to very much contextualize it. Like Absolutely. I'm in the classroom of my fourth grade teacher. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I have the, the same problem as I have a, a nice smattering of memories from throughout the years, but it takes me a long time. And, and again, I have to have some sort of temporal marker mm-hmm. to, to be able to really tell you when that was. And, it, and again, it usually is, especially for school. It's like a, okay, do I remember who's what teacher I had at that moment or whatever? Uh, mm-hmm. and, but yeah, it's, it's a, there's a lot of it. That's just kind of gone. Yeah. Um, and our brains are just like, no, so much of this is bad. We just, we don't want to keep any of it. I, truly. And it's, yeah, it's, it's very <laughs> much that. Um, yeah. I mean, literally like I was reading an article not that long ago that it is like literally what your brain does. is like, these memories aren't good for us. We're going to stop making them. Mm-hmm. So it just it just does because it's it's harmful. I don't know her. Right. <laughs> Very much that. Very much that. I had I had I had a moment of that when I saw the the picture of Ian, Sarah, and I today because my hair is so short and I was like, who is she? Yeah. But yeah. no, it's it's very much that. I look at that and it and and some some stuff. It's first person, but I do have mm-hmm. third person memories as well, which is another trauma marker. Like if you're, if your memories huh. are in third person or if they are otherwise altered, such as like being in black and white, like those are, those are trauma markers. Your, your brain is, is trying to distance you from it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't realize that about the, uh, like the third person thing. Cause there's definitely, definitely some memories that I have that are like that. Yeah. Which makes sense. Cause if you've kind of dissociated from the moment, that's a yeah. big one. Yeah. When yeah. you dissociate in that moment, you, the memory is dissociated as well. Yeah. Makes, it makes sense. Yeah. Just never thought about it. It's, it's breakthroughs. Brains are, are crazy and wicked and wild, wild just things. Meat that's full of electricity <laughs> and some chemicals. It's literally, yeah, of course it's it going to misfire. Like, God. yeah. God damn it. It's going to misfire in the best of cases. And then you want to rattle it around a little bit, beat it up, rough it up and expect it to like, what work perfectly. Fuck you. It's (laughs) incredible. You ever drop a laptop? I've I've taken neuroscience classes. And when you start to learn about, and they're very basic neuroscience classes, I'm obviously by no means an expert, but like when you get into the nitty gritty of like how many steps it takes to do a simple thing, like the thing that really got to me was, was vision all of the steps that the the information has to go through to get even to your occipital lobe in your brain, there's like 15 or 20 steps. Like mm-hmm. one of our one of the answers on, on a, like a bonus question for a test was to write out all of the steps. And it was a bonus for a reason because it was, it was just insane. It's like, there are so many opportunities 
for things to go haywire here. Truly. Mm-hmm. And then it's like incredible. Like the steps that your brain takes to do the things that that it actually does. And then the steps that it takes to make you think it's doing things like the way pain receptors work is like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't go to your brain because there's not enough time between you because you touching a warm thing goes into your finger up to your brain back to there. You know, that takes few milliseconds which is Mm -hmm. too long so your arm literally just rips itself away and then by the time that signal reaches your brain your brain rewrites the memory to be like yes i did that you you had the conscious thought that that was hot no you didn't there's a (laughs) yeah it's it's the signal gets to your spinal column and there's there's specific receptors that know that oh this is an emergency brain's too slow and they just send mm-hmm. that that message right back for you to to any sort of reflexes like that i was just learning about that in my biology classes it's Wild. really fascinating right like human bodies are these intensely intricate complex electrical spongy fucking workings so of course <laughs> some people's isn't you know factory standard yeah <laughs> oh, and when you when you when you look into DNA and how all of that is replicated and everything too, again, so many opportunities for mistakes and just sometimes literally one one little gene like can screw up the whole thing and not even that just like a part of a gene. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's one. It's uh, I was looking in my biology book. It was a sickle cell disease. Mm. It's literally just like one letter of the like C T A G thing. It just mm-hmm. literally. What has changed? And sickle cell anemia is, is something that the human body developed, evolved intentionally mm-hmm. to try yes. to fight malaria, but it it didn't evolve in the way that it needed to because yes, the blood well, platelet so changed, but the blood vessel didn't. Right. So the uh, the unfortunate thing about evolution that uh, uh, <laughs> evolutionary <laughs> biology student what here. So fun sorry, fun this is taken. we're gonna just, go, just gonna go down this rabbit hole. Listen, but it is relevant. Awesome. It is relevant. It is relevant because evolution is not always beneficial, mm-hmm. and that's a thing that a lot of people don't think about. Is like it, it. There is no like end goal or or purpose. It's random. It's completely random. And sometimes, you know, certain things are good for a certain situation, but they can only take you so far. Like sickle cell is great for not, you know, dying from malaria. But it has these other consequences mm-hmm. that the evolution just doesn't prepare for because it's not like a conscious being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the same thing happens with, with humans. It's like some things are good. Like anxiety was good for a while because it helped us to, you know, not die. Yeah. But now we're in this situation where we don't have constant, well, we don't have the same constant threats to our lives. We we don't have we we don't have megafauna trying to eat us anymore. Yeah, we're not usually prey anymore, but we still have those prey instincts because we our brains have evolved so much faster then evolution can make changes. Like that's just, yeah, it hasn't had time to catch up because we got so smart so quickly and developed so many new technologies and everything. And it just, it, we have, Mm -hmm. we have a long, uh, long way to, to go before we catch up with our own brains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a lot that there's the, you know, the brain is on version 7.8 where the meat suit is on like Uh 3.9. It's just, and then the surroundings uh, are 10.0. Right. Right. Like the operating, the, the, the software and the hardware are not 
strictly speaking the most compatible, but there's a lot of patchwork happening here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. And so like, that's what leads to things. And, and, you know, and it's, and it's so interesting when we talk about mental illness and, you know, yes, like, like things like an anxiety disorder, which I think all of us have. I know I do. I think that's yeah. safe to say. I th- <laughs> yeah. I don't take medication for it, but I was diagnosed with, like, generalized anxiety. Yes. And yes. Is, is a great, fortunately, <laughs> not nearly as bad as it could be, so. Yeah. So, yeah, I also have a generalized yeah. anxiety disorder. Um, and whenever I tell people that, nobody ever believes me. They're like, Same. oh, my God, you'd never know. And I'm like, thanks. It's the mask. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> I learned how to pretend. <laughs> Like the amount of I used times. To say, I'm a really good actress. <laughs> right. I've said that before too. <laughs> the- <laughs> but that's why I do theater. That's what I do best. <laughs> I love when you tell me that. <laughs> like that's the whole point. I don't want you to know that in my head I'm replaying every word you're saying to me and the hidden hidden meaning that it could have and the fact mm-hmm. that I'm going to cry in the bathtub when I get home tonight because I think mm-hmm. you might have taken something I said the wrong way. Right, because you breathed a little funny after I said or that. Or you, you're, you're, so, you had a micro expression change, uh-huh. like. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, when you grow up in a situation where you have to constantly be on alert, that's kind of mm-hmm. what happens. Like for me, my my mom was explosive with her anger. It could be any small thing that you did turned into a four hour. I'm gonna tell you all the things that you've done wrong in this life, even though you're only eight years old. Oh, you have to sit here and listen to it. Yeah, and. So you you want to obviously avoid those situations. So you start looking for all those tiny micro changes in mm-hmm. expression. And um, it's a really hard habit to stop Yeah, mm-hmm. when you get older. And my husband is, is very, very <laughs> patient. Um, but even with him, he is not a super emotive person. Mm-hmm. He can be, but a lot of times his expression is just... <laughs> It's just his face. And I'm like, I need you to do something with that face so that I know how you're feeling on the inside, please. Because that is, that I is need so, something. that is so true about Ian. Like his, his face generally stays the same, mm-hmm. but like it's, it's all in his voice. Yeah. Like yes. he, he emotes like he would be an incredible voice actor. Like he, oh, there is mm-hmm. so much that he gets a, you can discern just from the way the breath comes down and the way mm-hmm. the like, the word starts and the way the word finishes like there like when you know mm-hmm. ian like you know all of it is wrapped up in that in that voice mm-hmm. um that beautiful billowy voice that we love um yes. and he loves to listen and then not respond <laughs> and then he's listening like, how but am he i just supposed doesn't, to tell yes he doesn't acknowledge i'm mm-hmm. like are you ignoring me on accident or are you just not He's, saying anything? He communicates in person the way I communicate via text, which is where like, if it doesn't explicitly require a response, I don't. Yes. Correct. Um, and that is, that is, you're absolutely right. That's a perfect description. <laughs> yeah. Like he does I just want an okay. Yeah. Like, just, that's all I want. Just please say okay. And and it's so funny because I you know I grew I grew up in a house of uh, cooperative conversationalists, which you know cooperative conversation style is a legitimate style of communication, but it also isn't you know the standard among all households and all societies. It's uh, very common in southern households. It's very common 
in Greek households, um, in Irish households, in Jewish households, like cooperative conversation is like very common in that in those sorts of households. Um, and basically, it's that thing of where you're having a conversation and like, say, Sarah, you're saying something and then I, you know, understand what you're saying and I know where you're going with it. I'm like, oh, yes. And, and you, you know, hop on it and you it could be construed by some people. And I think Nate's family might consider this rude. Like, um, and I think Ian's family, I think Ian's family might as well, honestly. Like, I think, you know, based on the limited interactions, like, I think to them, it's more of like, okay, you let that person speak and you let them finish out their thought. And then you, and whereas like, I come from the background of like, oh yes. And you know, it's just like when you do that and then, and then you jump in and and it just moves, you know? Yeah. For me, it's a lot of it is if, I was getting lectured for mm. lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I didn't respond, you were in more listening. trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that I have unfortunately kind of like absorbed that a little bit. Like, Oh, they're not responding. They're not listening to me, mm-hmm. which is not the case for everybody. And right. it's, it's definitely been a thing that I'm, I'm having to get used to because it's just a difference in, in conversation styles yeah and and communication and it's just learning that not everybody is gonna behave the way that you know my mom behaved and that Mm -hmm. i can trust the people who aren't like that Mm -hmm. that they're listening to me and and you know they're not gonna you know flip out on me in 30 seconds for no reason so yeah Mm -hmm. it's really hard (laughs) and like and that's and that's one of the, that's what um one of the things that one of the reasons that I bring up the anxiety disorder stuff is because anxiety disorder is one of those things that you can one hundred percent be born with, but it's also something that can be given to you. <laughs> like yes. somebody somebody can can take this squishy developing child brain and inject 20 cc's of anxiety with enough conditioning mm-hmm. and it's and it yeah. and it doesn't even have to be intentional like it doesn't have like that's the thing about raising children and why I was so terrified of it for so long um because it's very easy to like mess up those squishy little brains yeah mm-hmm. um very very easy <laughs> and you know I I have you know what i have you know i have bipolar 2 disorder i have generalized anxiety disorder i have ptsd so that's a fun and not to mention the generational trauma um so that's all super fun i don't want to pass any of that on so like at this point i used to say i don't want kids at all but at this point in my life i've decided i don't want biological children i don't want to saddle them with the possibility of having bipolar disorder like i do or any of that generational trauma or anything like that also like being a queer person like having a biological child would be way more expense in my opinion you know other people choose to do this and that is 100 percent fine like you mm-hmm. get to make that decision about what you want your family to look like and be. Mm-hmm. But for me, there are so many children in the system at, uh, that need the love that you are so desperate to impart. And mm-hmm. so for me, like, especially because for me, being a parent isn't about, I need to be a parent for me. Being a parent is about, I am in a place in my life where I can 
improve someone's life and help them learn and help them navigate the world. So let me open up my home and do that, which is why adoption and fostering is the best option for me. I don't Mm -hmm. feel this. I don't feel this call to have this child that is mine and continue Mm -hmm. my family line. No, I have, I have this passion to make sure children are protected and heard and have the opportunity to grow up in an environment where they know that it is safe to question things and safe to Mm -hmm. learn um, and safe to make mistakes. Yes. And I'm getting very emotional. (laughs) No, I, I understand that feeling. There's a lot of conversations that Ian and I have had where I've, I've been like, this is what I didn't have. And this is what I want to make sure that our, future kids do have. I want to be that house where if somebody's having a hard time at home, they can come to me and just vent. Yeah. And be and and get support from somebody or my kids feel comfortable coming home and being like, this is a kind of a crazy thing that happened or this is a mistake that I've made or anything like that and, and be comfortable because I never had that. I was constantly afraid of how uh, my mom was going to react and, and generally it was not positive, even if, you know, it wasn't a, a big deal, something that had happened, like it was, everything was a big deal to her. And so I, I don't want my kids to have that. Well, because so yeah, everything you did was, that. everything you did was a reflection on her. I yeah. hate that. I hate that. It's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. 100%. When we decided to have Evan and we had Evan. Um, not only was pregnancy itself like super traumatic for me, that's another episode. You're a terrible pregnant person. I love you deeply and dearly. You are terrible at sharing your body. And also it was kind of, uh, Evan, I love you. I love you, Evan. If you are old enough to be listening and understanding this, you wrecked your mother when you were inside of her. Yeah. And then you ate poop. (laughs) You little shit eater. Snatched right out. Like, Oh, I did all of that and then I got to the end and then it was like well let's just pop him right now let's just cut that cut the cut on my out choking on something <laughs> like what the fuck yeah <laughs> I made it all the way here you asshole oh. like I was pissed but like <laughs> what I'm trying to say like, oh yeah it, it did like being pregnant like fuck with my brain in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like I uh, do I am on medication so I had to stop taking a lot of my brain medication um Mm -hmm. and so not being able to do that was a problem because i had every bad symptom you could have my mouth tasted like pennies all the time that's normal apparently Mm -hmm. it just happens to some women you may have to taste like pennies for six months too bad so i I know you said pennies but i i definitely heard pennies pennies the first time and i was like pennies Pennies. And not even like I got new it after pennies. a second, but I just pennies. thought pennies. Pennies. <laughs> not even new pennies, but like pennies you find at like the bottom of your purse. Like ew. ew. Not the yeah, bottom of the purse pennies. All the they time. have a they have a little bit of some just like half melted candy mm-hmm. on them. And then just oh, a yeah. just a sprinkling of lint. <laughs> yeah. And so I would I literally use it all the time. Like it was fucking wild. But Ugh. that's awful. After having him. <laughs> First of all, I can say I'm never having another child. Uh, we will be adopting in the future, but for right now, mm-hmm. having a, a child, like baby, and trying to raise him to be like a person has mm-hmm. been fucking wild because there's so many, I keep being like, there's so many missteps that I could make. I could like, I could like, I could make his brain real fucked up 
just by like doing things that they even tell you to do. Like sometimes like things that they always told parents, like this is what you need to do to have a good like kid. Then you later found out that's kind of basically torture. You shouldn't be doing that to your kids. Oh, yeah. are we are we su- are we subtweeting uh, self soothing treat uh, self soothing training right now? Is that what we're subtweeting? <laughs> Not even. Like, I'm I'm really just subtweeting basically everything because it's wild yeah. the way it changes so quickly from like mm-hmm. one thing to another. Like um, even when it's like having kids to the next. Like I remember my sister had her last child. Uh, like five years before I had my first child and we mm-hmm. were talking about like what we had to do like with like our doctors what was required what they were telling me to do and it was like vastly different and in some cases completely opposite to what they told mm-hmm. my sister to do while she was pregnant and now it's the same having kids like they tell you oh this is the pediatrician it will be like this is the best thing to do they used to give my mom gave me cereal like baby cereal in yeah in bottle. the milk in the milk when you when you start to get hungrier the the the, the baby cereal yeah. thickens it up and makes it more filling for you yeah. so that you're, yeah, not, you're not running through formula to do that that oh. chokes and kills babies you're not supposed to do that and they literally my this pediatrician used to tell my mom like she's hungry put cereal in her milk and i said something to my pediatrician she looked at me like i was trying to kill my kid she was like we don't do that. Like they could aspirate. There's a reason we tell you not to do like harder foods or solid foods until later. Mm-hmm. Please don't put so please don't do that. Like it's just, it's completely different. And I feel like while I don't judge parents for doing what they thought was best at the time or what they were told was best at the time, mm-hmm. I do judge parents who know better now Yes. And, and choose to continue that problem. And now I'm subtweeting spanking. <laughs> and that's my that's that's my thing though. Like let's let's talk about that because the whole thing is like we know better, you know better, you do better. But so many and like so many people seem to have a fundamental issue with the you know concept of learning. Because it's mm-hmm. like just because like nobody is atta- like when we're saying, oh, no, you you shouldn't do that because or, you know, you shouldn't say that because, you know, insert whatever, like whether we're talking about the way you deal with mental illness, the way you discipline your child, the way you talk about gender or race or anything else, like when we are in good faith if and, and like we think, oh, you're just making a mistake and we in good faith come to you and be like, oh, actually, you shouldn't because Mm-hmm. And your immediate reaction is to get defensive. Like it wasn't a, like we didn't think you were doing it to be malicious or mm-hmm. like, we understand like ignorance is a thing. And like people were taught a thing mm-hmm. and maybe haven't had the opportunity to learn better. So we're trying to give you that opportunity yeah. now, mm-hmm. but instead you think we're insulting your intelligence or we're attacking your <laughs> worldview. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot, a lot of people, and I think this is part of human nature that all of us have to overcome at some point is we just have a really hard time admitting that we're wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even if it's a minor indiscretion, we're like, Oh, it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, okay, so that might be the case, but you still did this thing. And these Mm -hmm. are the consequences. And now we're telling you that this is the consequences. You should be able to choose to do better. Mm -hmm. Emily has her hand raised. Yes, ma'am. I have ADHD. I can't. Miss Katowski, can I help you? Because <laughs> I forget that I have something to say on this topic. No, you're, no, you're I get good. It. I 100%. Get it. We are all on the same page. Yes. <laughs> something that actually, so Lex actually 100% on this topic changed my like worldview and my life. 
oh. when I first met them. So, <laughs> and I'm going to tell the story right now because uh, please I think do. It fits I'm with this so intrigued. <laughs> so, when I was growing up, one of the biggest things that I always had issues with, where it was no matter like it was always adults, and they would always say the phrase to me, "I don't want your excuses." And it used to drive me up a fucking wall because as a kid with undiagnosed ADHD, I would be like trying to explain to my teacher, like, I'm late because I was in my locker trying to get this thing. And then I remembered I had to go do this and I was doing that. And then I got, I didn't realize it was like, I'm trying. And if anyone had listened to me for like a second, they would have been like, you have ADHD, but no one did. They were just kind of like, you're late. I don't care. I don't want your excuses. And then as I got older, it wasn't just my teachers, it was employers now. So I'd show up late to work and I would or wouldn't do what I said I was gonna do and said I did a completely other project for six hours. Like yeah. mm-hmm. and I'd have to be explain myself and they'd be like, I don't want your excuses. And it was oh, it made me so mad because I was never trying to excuse my behavior. I was always trying to just explain my intentions. Mm-hmm. And then one day, uh, it was when I met Lex, we were at DragonCon. And it was the first day I met them and we were sitting somewhere. Yes, it was that weekend. We were sitting somewhere and they were talking about something that they had done in the past with somebody, like just like a bad thing that they had done, um, which we all do shitty stuff. And so Mm -hmm. they, they said what they had done, owned up to all of it, and then said the phrase... You know, I was going through a, a pretty bad depressive episode at the time, which, which you know, informs but does not excuse my behavior. Yeah. And to tell you my, like, to say my brain exploded in that moment would be like an understatement. I have carried that phrase with me <laughs> through the rest of my life. Like, I say it on the fucking daily because mm-hmm. it, what all my bullshit, all of my weird mental bullshit when I when it does overcome me, I try not to let it, but the, it just happens. And it's like it happens when it to does, all of us. I it does not excuse what I did at all. It does no. not mm-hmm. mean that I don't take responsibility, but it does inform the situation. And exactly, it's right to inform you of where I was mentally in that moment. And Absolutely, and I think that's a great way to phrase it so that people understand. Because a lot of times when I've, I've had the same thing said to me. It's like, it's not an excuse. I'm like, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I literally mm-hmm. just want you to know what was going through my brain. And, and being able to say that, like, I understand what I did mm-hmm. was not okay. And I, I do still want to take responsibility. I just want to let you mm-hmm. know what was going through my brain, what my intentions were, because... Yeah, right. And let's keep in mind, how many years and ago And I understand this? the effect is still the thing, but... Like, this yeah. was a long, long, that, long time ago. And they said it was such, like... That was before you Yeah, and they said it was such yeah. nonchalance, just like, you know... Because of this. And I was like, oh, my God, the emotional maturity. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and and, and, the, the, and I, th- I was like 21 at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I was like, I was like 21 at that time. Um, but yeah, like, that's the thing is like, um, and so many, so many people like when we when we talk about accountability and we talk about the way that people have hurt us, you know, so many people are so quick to say, you know, intent doesn't matter. All that matters is, you know, the result and like the people that you've hurt. And to me, like not even just when I'm the one who has transgressed, but to people who have transgressed against me, like I want to know where you were coming from and what was going on. And I, and then I get to make the informed decision of whether or not this, you know, completely changes the way that I approach our relationship in the future or 
mm-hmm. whether I can absolutely un- like whether that's absolutely understandable and you know we chalk it up to this one time and you'll do better next time because mm-hmm. the thing is is like intent absolutely does matter like did you intend mm-hmm. to ignore me and to leave me hanging or to hurt my feelings okay you didn't intend mm-hmm. to what led us there let's figure that out so that we can you know change mm-hmm. these things in the future it's it's not and a neurotypical at the people, same time though it does not change like it doesn't mean that you are not allowed to still be hurt by it like you exactly are that's the thing by it. that's the thing is like that's the thing like apologies and explanations don't don't negate anything they inform those things and they give you more information about what this person what this person was experiencing and whether or not that matters to you like mm-hmm. you know like right. Does it matter to you that, God, I forgot to call you on your birthday because I, you know, was working outside and then after working outside, I had to take a shower and then I had totally forgotten that I had this thing. Okay. Yeah. That matters to you or no, it doesn't, you know, like if we've been friends, if we've been friends for, you know, 20 years and I always call you on your birthday and I, you know, I, you know, start for forgetting all the time, then yeah, that becomes an issue. But if it's genuinely, Oh, there's some lightning behind me. (laughs) I've been seeing it for a minute, but that That was was a good one. That was a good one. But you're, you're absolutely right. Intention matters to a degree also because to a degree yeah it's important because obviously the effect is still the effect regardless of what the intention Mm -hmm. was but you're right with somebody everybody makes mistakes so somebody hurts you unintentionally and they're apologetic and they own up to it and say i won't do that again and they don't cool intention's important Mm -hmm. but if they're like oh sorry i didn't mean to and then you do it again do it again Mm -hmm. do it again then you can start to realize like okay yeah Either they're not being honest about their intentions Mm -hmm. or they don't care enough to put in the effort to change it. And then you can start making decisions too. So I always like to kind of hear what people's intentions were Mm -hmm. behind things like that because it it informs, like you said, informs my decision on how this relationship is going to go. Especially, and and, and it's particularly hard with, with like when, when there's like an imbalance, right? So like if, if you have a neurotypical, completely like just, normal quote there i don't know if you can hear the air quotes dear listener but they're happening (laughs) um (laughs) but you know when you're when your partner is completely neurotypical and well adjusted more air quotes like you know Mm -hmm. it's they could have a lot of a lot harder time understanding how something like that could happen if they aren't let in on you know your thought process and the way your brain was working and why you reacted in the way you did because like even with me conversationally like i will jump to something else but my brain has made this wild webbing of adhd facts and overlaps and like Mm. six degrees Mm. of kevin bacon is going on in my head (laughs) all the time about everything and so somebody (laughs) will say something and i will say something that seems completely unrelated but then i can walk you back and be like okay well you were talking about joan cusack and i remember that joan cusack was in this movie about this thing and then this scientist was working in that field and said this like (laughs) yep it's yeah. wild. 
that's ADD brain and it's fantastic. Absolutely. I feel like there, um, there was a TikTok ta- that was like, I have bees in my brain. I have, I have bees, bees in my, in my brain. brain. Yes, <laughs> I sent you that. I sent you, yeah, yes, yes, bees in my brain. I think of that yes. literally every day since and, you sent it to me because it's so real. And the same thing, it's so the same thing can be said when you're dealing with somebody who has depression or when you're dealing with somebody who has PTSD, especially in PTSD, there are things like both me and my partner have CPSD, uh, PTSD and from very different sources and we deal with it in very different ways. And so there are some, some ways in which my ADHD and my attachment style rub up against the, the former actions of her partner and things that he would weaponize Mm. against her. So there have Mm -hmm. been times where I have, not been responding to texts because they didn't explicitly require a response. And she's, you know, been silently in her head thinking, Oh fuck, I've pissed them off. I've done something wrong. And so like, we've had to like develop a much more open communication about like, like, so like for me, like my effort to kind of correct that is like, if I don't have something to say, I'll like heart react to the message to like acknowledge mm-hmm. that I've seen it, acknowledge mm-hmm. that I've taken it in, you know, <laughs> rather than right. Me rather too. than just reading it and leaving it, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if it's so especially because another thing for me is i don't like to parrot affection so like when somebody is like i miss you i don't automatically go i miss you too i'll I'll say i know or you know i'll uh, say something else it's Um, so funny i'm sorry you said i know i know i know i miss you i know i know you (laughs) no that the the worst thing i have ever done and it It was not malicious, I swear. But I just didn't know what to say in this moment because I didn't feel it like genuinely in the way that they were feeling it. And I didn't want to say that and not be true. But I also didn't want them to think I didn't appreciate them and didn't enjoy them mm-hmm. having them around. So I was like trying to have a response because they had said, I love you. And my brain short circuited and goes, I bet you do. <laughs> Sorry, I bet yes. you do. Oh my God. I bet you do. <laughs> Who am I, Barbara Streisand? <laughs> like that's the best thing I've ever heard. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I'm gonna say that to Ian. Iconic. Next time he says, "I love you." <laughs> yes, I bet you do. I bet you do. But <laughs> honestly, I said that. Like, no. Next time he's like, "It's like I love you. I love you more." And it's like, "I bet you do." Then <laughs> 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 you guys do it's, that back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> That's how my, you win. Um, <laughs> that you do. That's my, how I win. <laughs> my um, my response nowadays, a lot of the time, especially if it's like, and I love you out of nowhere because I've done something stupid, is God. Somebody has to. Like, <laughs> God damn. That's a good. That's one. honestly that's a good. One. Good too. I like that. <laughs> but oh, no, like funny. it's when you you know when you have you know when you have two partners that you know mm-hmm. have even if their traumas are congruent like nobody reacts to trauma in exactly the same way yeah. and so you know there have been you know times that she has had to ask me you know for reassurance for you know certain affectionate things because I also am somebody who I both need words of affirmation but I also don't believe them like. <laughs> It's 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 called being toxic, right? Right. right. It's that's my toxic trait. Yeah, (laughs) I need you to. I need you to tell me that you love me. 
Tell me you love me. I love you. You're lying. Um, <laughs> I usually follow up with, are you sure? Right. You and sure? It's like- <laughs> Which drives me crazy because like you're talking about, he's a quote unquote neurotypical, quote unquote, well-adjusted person. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't understand why I'm always like, are you sure? He's like, we're married. He's like, yeah, listen, but. <laughs> listen, can we, can, can we all just. I'm not about to spill any of Ian's tea because that's his story to tell. <laughs> but it is remarkable that he is as well adjusted as he is. That's valid. Valid. Literally, I don't know remarkable. how. Spitefully I, normal. Yes. Spitefully. Yes. Oh my god, that's spitefully Truly. normal. That's I, so. I love to. I love to describe him as aggressively hospitable because of you know how he is as a person. But spitefully was spitefully normal. That's yes. adding that to the list. Spitefully, spitefully normal. normal. Spitefully aggressively normal. Hospitable. Oh, that yes. is my, that is his resume. That is his resume. Period. Done. Oh Amazing. my god. I also like to say. I also like to say that like uh, <laughs> like Ian and Nate are both queer on paper. Oh yeah. Uh, like if yeah. you wrote out their resume like as a person with their like interests and traits, like oh, yeah. these these are well, two queer nerds. Like, one of one of Ian's uh female friends in high school, her dad only let them be friends which is because, a whole other situation, but because he thought he was gay. Like I that's the he only was gay reason when I met him. A lot of people do. But I thought Nathan was too. So yeah. <laughs> it just I turns out See, the best ones are maybe gay. <laughs> What's True. hilarious well, is, the I, is I, knew Ian, I knew yes. Ian was straight. I knew Ian was straight, but I did still have that moment. Of, and this, this has way more to do with me than it ever had to do with Ian. And you know, <laughs> my, my childhood trauma of the only time boys were nice to me was when they wanted something out of me. Because again, like I was, I was beaten up and ostracized for being queer before I even knew what it was. So I had a sure. very limited number of male friends. Um, and, and the people that I am terming male friends here are not the m- men that wanted something from me. Sure. But yeah, like my, you know, middle high school experience was the only time, most of the time, if, you know, there was somebody who was friends with the people who were dicks to me and they were being nice to me, it's because... I had something they wanted mm-hmm. and usually mm-hmm. it was an experiment. Um, <sighs> and I used Goodness. that and, and that was fine by me because I used that as my maladaptive coping mechanism, Yay! which is the perfect segue. Let's get into that as being <laughs> like, so when you have, so let's define maladaptive coping mechanism. I'm going to throw it to Sarah on this one, <laughs> our resident bio. So oh, she's, she's done all sorts of programs. I let's, have. I've done so much school, guys, and I'm still not done. It's fine. <laughs> um, Listen, so basically, the, eternal, the eternal student is the wisest person. I honestly, if it weren't so goddamned expensive, I would totally right. be a student for the rest of my life. There's so many cool things to learn, guys. Anyway, so much. <laughs> before I get on that <laughs> tangent, we're going to talk about maladaptive coping mechanisms, which, I mean, basically, it's just a way that you deal with a thing um, that is maybe not the most healthy way. My first significant maladaptive coping mechanism, um, when I was uh, in between third grade and fourth grade, I developed trichotillomania, which is mm-hmm. essentially a stress disorder, um, a OCD type disorder where you have a compulsion to literally pull out your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so that was the, the big thing for me. And I ended up with, um, no eyelashes. I had no eyebrows and all the hair on the top of my head was about an inch long. Uh, which is, you, if you can imagine when I went back to school to fourth grade oh. with all of my hair like that, um, things were not great. It went super well. It went, yeah, it went super well. The kids well. were nice and honestly, noticed anything. Of, Nobody said anything at all. My friends didn't abandon me. It's fine. All of um, all of, all of of the kids in your school were going through a Sinead, Connor fa- Sinead O'Connor phase at the same time. Yes, so it was yeah, fine. It was perfect. Everything it was good. Um, but... D- yeah, I, I wish. Um, but uh, <laughs> so Lex and Emily, you guys already know this, but my maiden name is Hannes. Um, the last mm-hmm. four letters of which spell a uh, body part. Um, and so I got called Sarah Anus all the time. Especially um, because like in roles and stuff, because her yeah. her first name does not have an H. Her no. first name does not have an H. It is no, S-A-R-A. And then... Last Hannes. name starts with H. It was very confusing. But yeah, and also everybody in the South said heinous. Mm-hmm. So obviously it's just, you know, chop that one letter off and there you go. But anyway, that that got a lot worse after I, uh, you know, came back to school looking like a thumb. Oh, funny. <laughs> looking like a thumb. Oh, is that um, a coping mechanism? Can we talk about it, humor? It is. Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely a coping mechanism. And, and <laughs> humor is 100% a coping mechanism. Uh, what makes it maladaptive is the self deprecating nature of it because yes. it reinforces your own negative self talk. Like, yes. yes, we're playing it up for a laugh, but like, the thing is, is like, th- all. All comedy comes from at least a kernel of truth. All the best comedy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, not funny if it's if it's just if it doesn't nonsense. touch anything, right? Like it's not funny yeah. if it doesn't touch anything real, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that like one of <laughs> one of uh, my jokes that I used to say, because um, people all like being a queer person is super fun, especially uh, when meeting straight people and they get to play tourist. And uh, mm. oftentimes some of their favorite questions are, Oh, what's your relationship like with your family? What was it like when you came out? Like what was, you know, extremely so personal. No, my favorite, my favorite Weird. is when, why my favorite is when straight people ask me if I'm a top or a bottom. What? I love that. I love that. That's super fun. Don't do, um, if you're listening to this podcast, please just don't, please stop asking your queer friends it. if they're top or bottom and or how, they, how their coming out experience was just, or is if you going. If you wouldn't ask a straight person that question, don't ask a queer person that question. Because honestly, all you're trying to do is you're trying to recontextualize it in a heteronormative thought process because you're trying to decide, you know, when you're talking, it's also rooted in misogyny, right? Because if I tell, uh-huh. if I tell a man or a woman that I'm... I am exclusively a bottom, you know, suddenly, well, I'm not a man, but if I were, you know, a cisgendered man, suddenly I'm less of a man. Suddenly I'm less, Mm -hmm. you know, this, Mm -hmm. that, or the other thing. And honey, let me tell you, some of your roughest, tumblest, burliest manly men are the biggest power bottoms you've ever (laughs) met. Trust me. I have intimate knowledge. Um, But the thing and like, yeah, like it's, it's not cute. It's not fun. And like, if you're not trying to fuck me, you don't need to know. (laughs) Like, 
But so yeah, weird. like, so like one of my maladaptive humor, like things like to win the straights, like just trying not to get hate crimed guys. <laughs> right. Um, but like, they would ask me a question like that or, or, mm-hmm. or, or they would ask me about my high school experience and I, and I would like make an off color joke about how, Oh, you know, I, you know, I dealt with my parents disapproval by getting blackout and letting the closeted football players <laughs> fuck me. And it's like, big laughs, oh my god, shock value. But it's like, no, honey, like, that came from real, like, that, that's, re- like, that's, mm-hmm. I, I did that. Like, that was yeah. real. Yeah. Um, it's not cute. It's not like a little joke. Like, I say it in a funny way. I say it in like a funny way, and I'm, and I'm, less true. Right. <laughs> and the thing is, is like, I'm, I'm not. I, I have, I have mourned the childhood that I could have had, at least mostly like I still have some days where I'm like fuck especially now that I'm on TikTok and I'm getting these like right? good parents like Sarah and I were talking about this earlier but I keep getting like just good parent content and then mm-hmm. like them showing I should have looked some of them up so I could like shout out their TikToks on this mm-hmm. um, but like there was this one mom who like has very frank conversations and she was about to like launch into a conversation uh, on puberty with one of her older who I believe is like 14 I I know who you're talking about I believe I can do. find her because I want to shout yes, out. Yes, please. Um, see if you can find her while I'm telling this story. But she mm-hmm. was talking to she, you know, was addressing the room, and only she is ever visible. She doesn't show her children, um, but she does get their consent before filming the conversation. Which again, like you should be asking yes. your children for these consent because not like and it's and that, number one that is not to undermine your authority as a parent that is to normalize for your child that people need their permission to do things to them with them or for them like and recognizing that your child is a whole different separate person from you and not just a extension that you can control but i mean thinking of children as people is fucking new can we talk about the fact uh, here's something dear listener that's probably going to revolt you um the reason child labor laws were able to be enacted children were taken out of the workplace because when children died children were considered their parents property and so when the child died at work the parent could then sue the company for lost wages because that child belonged to them and they were no longer able to collect on those wages uh, which excuse is, me i need to go mm-hmm. vomit yeah um yeah. but anyway uh this this tiktoker is incredible and she was talking to her big one about things and was like the little ones were in the room and she said remember how i talked to you and i told you because of how old you are we'll talk about mechanics with you and bubba gets specifics specifics but but if you but if you were to hear the specifics it would make you feel too many big things too fast and so like she really and sometimes she has a conversation and she's like okay i can tell you this thing i can explain this to you but it might make you feel a lot of things is that okay with you and That's so she great. really practices active, you know, consent with her kids. That's really important and definitely helps to mitigate anxiety and being taken advantage of because that's one thing that I ran into a lot is because I, I was raised in a household where it was like, hug them, kiss them. You're going to make them feel bad. And it wasn't about what I wanted to do with my body. Right. And so I have had a lot of partners that I've had sex with, not because I wanted to have sex with them, but because they wanted to have sex with me and I didn't want to make them feel bad. And then, you know, in my senior year of high school, I am completely unmedicated, right? So I'm no longer on my my ADD medication. Um, Yay. Okay, what's her name? 
Her, it, she is at lack of impulse control. Yes. <laughs> I think that's funny. But yeah, she does a lot of uh, parenting stuff about um, basically just uh, mindful parenting um, awesome. and consent to knowledge, which I think is really nice. She asks her kids, like if they ask a question, like she can say, this might give you big feelings. Are you sure you want the answer to this? They can say yes or no. And then she will tell them whatever they're old enough for, whether it's mechanics or specifics. And they also, she also makes it known to them. Like I can't, like if the other kids are in the room, like you were saying, like we can talk about this later. Um, she also just kind of has good tips about like how to raise kids in a respectful way. And I think that's most important. Like right now, Nathan and I, our, our main thing, the big thing that we are into is just respectful parenting, treating mm-hmm. our child like he's a whole person, which is wild. And it's weird because you'd think that that, that makes sense. Like, of course, we're going to treat a kid like a, like a whole person. But the world's not set up for that. It's just not mm-hmm. set up to treat kids like people. It's set up to treat them like like property or animals. Yeah. And, and, and it's I think, wild. I think that in, in and of itself is such a huge step and takes care of so many common parenting issues that you're already like way ahead of the gate yeah. there. Yeah. Because so, so many issues, I think, stem from the fact that parents don't view their children as individuals. They and view it's, them as extensions of themselves. Exactly that. It's also, and even if they don't view them as an extension of themselves, they still think, oh, I'll have a lot of say in the kind of person my kid is. And like, yes. in some ways, sure, but not the way you think. Like, the yeah, the, nope. the effect that you have over your child's personality and the kind of person your child is has way more to do with all of the unconscious and subconscious things that you do um, and the kind of conditioning that happens mm-hmm. there well, way also- more than it does any active choices that you make. Mm-hmm. And it's also a lot of genetics. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm i a great example of this. Um, I am adopted. So the mom I've been referring to in, in this episode is my adoptive mother, the, the home that I went to live in when I was three months old. But I also, in the last few years, have developed a relationship with my birth mother. Um, and we are so alike mm-hmm. in the way we think, in the way we do things. And I mean even down to the fibromyalgia, we're the same. Yeah. And it's really amazing to me because honestly, most of, most of my personality is her. Mm-hmm. Most of who I am as a person I, I was when I was born because of who my parents biologically are. Um, the parts of me that I learned are, you know, anxiety mm-hmm. and when I see PTSD. Those yeah. are yeah. those are the things that I got from from that. And I, I, I exaggerate. There are some things that I was, was so she encouraged, always encouraged me to read. She always told me I was smart and I could do whatever I wanted. There were good things that happened. But overall, most of who I am as a person is because of my genes. Yeah. And I think uh, that's something that a lot of people, a lot of parents don't mm-hmm. think about. It's mm-hmm. like once yeah. you once once that egg and sperm get together there's a lot of things that are just kind of set <laughs> yeah. right. that's, that's, when, we, when we met your mom like at the yeah. wedding it was it was absolutely wild to me because it was like this is not someone that you have grown up with this is not someone who's like been in your life since the yeah. very beginning and you've at, learned at the these wedding, mannerisms from her this at the is wedding just, i think i'd met her maybe three or four times yeah 
Yeah. Th- this is just y'all like watching her, not even just like, like her mannerisms, her laugh, her smile, like the yeah. way she interacts with the world and moves mm-hmm. through the world is you. And that yeah. was wild to see. Yeah. And if that does not like explain. <laughs> right. <laughs> so much nature. So yeah. much, so much like it. And, and, and it interesting that you bring that up because t- to me in, in it, it's not a versus issue. No, it's, 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 not. it's, it's not a, it, it's not a versus issue they are they 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 coexist they do this together Uh, the best way that i can uh if we like want to put a nature metaphor on it look at uh look at fucking um hydrangeas the color Mm -hmm. of a hydrangea like it's going to have it's going to have the same petals it's going to have the same like like type of plumage and type of you know uh growth but the color of the Mm -hmm. petals is completely determined by the acidity of the soil so the Mm -hmm. you know their environment only determines so much about them and then the same can Mm -hmm. be said for humans like our environment only determines a specific amount of who we are and so much more is encoded in our dna and so like when we talk about generational trauma it's real like the like the trauma from slavery and and civil rights like that is encoded in black dna like the the trauma from colonization and the trail of tears and the reservation Mm -hmm. is encoded in native american dna and it and and it, and it explains you know so many things about, about me mm-hmm. um and you know then on top add things on top of that like depression or anxiety like i was l- walking through the world with depression or being diagnosed as depressive for a really long time and developed specific coping mechanisms, whether they were maladaptive or not. And, you know, maladaptive isn't always detrimental to your health, but it's things that like in the long run can be bad for your mental health as well. Like Mm -hmm. maladaptive daydreaming. Yeah. They're just better ways to take care of it. Like there's, there are negative consequences that can come along with some of the maladaptive things. And there's just a little bit of a, better way to do it a maladaptive coping mechanism is like a donut like when you blow a tire on your car you have a donut you don't want to travel on that donut indefinitely like Mm -hmm. you want to get from where you popped the tire home and then from home to somewhere to put on a new tire that's That's a great metaphor for that Mm -hmm. that's the point of a maladaptive coping mechanism it's to survive Mm -hmm. and then once we've survived that put it down and and actually get the fix but when you're in a long-term abusive situation whether that is an intimate partner or a parent or a roommate that you're you you know whatever that long-term situation is that you can't get out maladaptive coping mechanisms become comfort blankets like it's it's it doesn't Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's not healthy Yes, because it it helped us survive, and it was the it was the thing that we found solace in. So how could I give this up? If I give this up, I'm going to be back where I was, and mm-hmm. so that's why things like cognitive behavioral therapy and and there are different modalities of therapy, and and the same modality is not going to work for every person. Absolutely. Cognitive behavioral cognitive behavioral therapy is very good, but it is very intensive. There is a lot of homework to it, um, but I, I and. If wielded incorrectly, can be abusive. So you got to watch what mm-hmm. therapist is trying to take you down that road for, for mm-hmm. damn sure with CBT. 100%. Yeah. And that's the thing is like people 
people have one bad experience with therapy and they think that's therapy. And in reality, it's just like any other job. There are Mm going to be people who are more well-suited to it than others. And there are going to be people who are well-suited to something, but might not be a good fit for you. Like, Mm -hmm. but uh, this is something so incredibly personal. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to hire a freaking sushi chef to make a, a, kosher meal like that's not what they do they don't know anything like i'm not gonna take a sushi sushi chef and be like make halal bread like that's not gonna be a thing that they Mm -hmm. can do it's not something that they have the tools to do and so like for me specifically because i have my ptsd and uh bipolar 2 disorder and generalized anxiety i'm not somebody who can only do medication i have to be medicated and also have like trauma therapy and, and, mm-hmm. and therapy that is specifically based in trauma because the thing is, is like not all therapy is created equal. Like, mm-hmm. and therapy isn't just for people with mental illness. I want to make that perfectly clear. Absolutely. Dear mm-hmm. listeners. If, therapy. Right. Dear listeners. Literally if, everyone. Yes. If you take nothing else from this conversation, please okay. take mm-hmm. that therapy is is there to help you um different people need different things and sometimes it's you're dealing with a death in the family or you have uprooted your entire life for a job and you don't have a support system in this new state yet you have no friends that really does take a toll on your mental health even if it's not something that you're going to need for the rest of your life like if you are going through a hard time if you're facing hard decisions please seek therapy please seek help because it can help you and and sometimes you just need it for a little bit and then you can put it down and you can say, wow, I'm so glad that I have new tools that I can walk through the rest of my life with. Mm-hmm. And because th- there are things that ther- a therapist told me when I was in seventh grade mm-hmm. that I still hold on to. And there are things that therapists have told me recently that have been like, you're full of shit. Like <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be a mixed bag. Just like not every teacher you had was the greatest mm-hmm. teacher you ever had. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you have to feel comfortable enough to walk away from those therapists who are just not suited to you. Sometimes yeah. they, you get the therapists that are just there to be an ear, just there to listen. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. If all that these, all that you need is someone to listen to you, you're going through a lot and you just want to talk at someone for like an hour. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I personally would prefer a therapist that calls me on my shit. I want one that's going to be like, Hey, uh, you've monopolized this whole session talking about uh, all the good things you did this week. You want to talk about the one bad thing you're most likely hiding? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, ma'am. Like, I need someone to be like, (laughs) hey, uh, I don't think you're telling the the whole truth there. Like, I need someone to push me further because I'm so used to masking. I'm so used to pretending like everything's okay. I Mm -hmm. need a therapist that's going to push me further. Some people don't need that. Some people just Mm -hmm. need someone to like just shut up and listen to me talk at you. And that's fine. Those exist. Mm -hmm. But if you want someone to interact with, you may have to go to a few different get to know you sessions. It doesn't have to be a whole session. Sometimes they'll let you just talk to them on the phone. If you call and you're like, hey, like I just, I want like a little 15 minute phone call with the doctor. I just want to like, get to know you, see what's up, like let them know, like see if we're a good fit. Not all practices will let you do that. Some of them will. And that's awesome. And you can be like, Hey, these are all, this is my laundry list of stuff. Like, 
And I saw a post that was a joke that was like, <laughs> oh, I compiled this, like, I made a, a resume for my next therapist, so I have to go over everything again. Well, you don't need to make a resume. I have 100% put all of my shit on a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because they're going to ask you to do it shit. anyway. They're going to they ask do. you to do it anyway. That's The thing is, is like, it is scary. It is deeply personal. And you're you're expected to sit in this office before you've met this person and write out on, on this, you know, packet of paper, everything that's quote unquote wrong with you. Every mm-hmm. medicine you've ever taken, every diagnosis you've ever had, everything that's ever happened in your family, like with your histories and, and your medical histories and things like that. And it's very, it's very daunting. And exhausting. Um, and you so have to do it a couple of times. It yeah. gets exhausting yeah. quickly. It's and like I don't even want to make the appointment because I don't want to fill out all the information. I don't remember half of it. And it's right. what all medications have you been on? Fuck if I know. Man, I have ADHD and depression. My brain is Swiss cheese. Are you yeah. kidding? All of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name. I literally am like just start naming medicines and I'll just like I'll I'll like give me a bell and I'll just like ding when I've like I, I, I know. Go. Do you literally what I have done? <laughs> What I did when I like went back into therapy after, you know, years of being out because I, you know, stopped, I stopped therapy and medication in high school, um, my senior year, I stopped at my senior year. And then I didn't go back on until I was like 22 or 23. And I only went back because I was having very heavy suicidal ideation. And I was really like, I literally remember, I remember the day that it happened. I was... I had like, I had been in the bath and I like pulled the drain and I literally was just sitting in the tub, watching the water go down the drain and just Mm -hmm. the thoughts that were going in my head. I was like, no, I have to get help. Like I can't keep white knuckling this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I went to the intake forms and it was like, what medications have you taken? I literally was like, okay. I literally was just looking up. I literally would like, I was like, medications for this disorder that I knew I had been diagnosed with. And then I would Mm -hmm. look down the list and when I saw something, I was like, Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that sounds familiar that I know I was on that. Like I would do that Mm -hmm. because like, you can't keep track of that thing your entire life. Yeah. Especially if you change medications a lot, which most people with any sort of mental health issues Mm -hmm. do because not one medication is ever going to, I think I'm on like fifth or sixth different variation and and the same thing is going to go for therapists you're going to you're going to shuffle them around probably to until you find the right one unless you're super crazy lucky in which case awesome right (laughs) awesome i do want to i want to touch on medication in this episode just because for a minute just because there's just such a stigma around taking medication for mental disorders which is wild to me Mm -hmm. because like as i've gotten older and as i've like trial medications and things like that like it, it, your my brain just doesn't make it like mm-hmm. i don't i don't know what the fuck you want me to do like right i've, tried, staying out do. I've tried taking i've tried taking vitamins i've tried going running or what the fuck ever i'm supposed to do. exercise gives you endorphins okay here's here's the fucking problem if my brain doesn't make it how am i supposed to get it if or my your body brain is absorbing it right, it, right. yes how am I supposed to get it, Becky? Like, Explain yourself. <laughs> and so, like, that always kept me from going on medications. Yeah. And what what happened when I finally was like, okay, I need to I need to go on medications. Like, and it was a similar situation where I was like trying to just white knuckle it, and I was mm-hmm. like, I was trying to get by with just like 
daily affirmations and, and breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. And I've been on, I have been on uh, Xanax since I was a ch- child, basically, <laughs> because I've had a panic disorder since I was born. Right. Like, so I panic, like full on panic attack, mm-hmm. like heavy breathing, like the whole like collapsing on the floor, the whole thing. So we were at your but wedding. I had to tell. Yeah, we we were there. Yeah, we were at the wedding. We got to, I, I remember, to talk to my wedding. It was great. I remember being in the parking lot with you pulling the beauty blender out of my bag and like trying to dab the tears <laughs> and like breathing with you this whole time. I was like, okay, breathe with me. Mm-hmm. We're dabbing these tears. Yep. It's fine. And you want to know why I was having a panic attack, audience? Because I was late <laughs> to my own wedding. <laughs> which is what everyone told me I would be my whole life and so I, it oh, was no. like I was walking up and I saw people dressed like mm-hmm. people were like dressed ready to go and I, I was walking in not like I had my makeup and hair done but like I had nothing else done and I was walking in and someone saw me and they were like oh hi and I was like oh my god like mm-hmm. people are here people are here and I am not like I and then I was like, I'm late to my own wedding. We didn't get pictures outside because I was late. Like, it was a whole thing. And so I, I remember, like, being so overwhelmed and stressed out. And thankfully, all of my friends around me that day were very understanding and of the fact also, that my brain is short-circuiting. And there's nothing I can do to kind no. of stop that. Oh, no, absolutely take not. take my fucking medicine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. 100%. And also, mm-hmm. dear listeners, please sound off on Twitter and let Emily know there is not a single bride that has ever been on time for their own wedding. Well, I don't know. Sarah? I mean... I, I am an exception, though, because I am always obnoxiously early to everything mm-hmm. as in you're the opposite ADHD yes well because mm-hmm. also my, my adoptive mother was very we have to be on time being late is the worst thing that you can ever you can ever do so I obviously can't ever be late now um no. and and as a good example I was and that's telling, like trauma yeah <laughs> I was telling Lex that I uh put my makeup on at four o'clock I knew we weren't going to start recording until at 6 30 at the earliest and i put my makeup on that takes me maybe half an hour at four right <laughs> so i'm i'm the opposite yeah. of the spectrum so i i i was on time but i'm also not it's not, not for healthy reasons it's right. just like right. oh, no, right. not for understanding it's like i'm terrified i'm gonna be late so i must right. be early. I, I exactly yeah i I grossly overestimate the amount of time it takes to do anything or to get anywhere. So I'm usually which like 20 minutes early. You know, you have ADHD, which prevents you from understanding how long things take. So you gen- absolutely automatically overestimate. Whereas me, I'm like, I know how long things take. <laughs> I, that's categorically false. I have been... <laughs> I have, and what's so funny is, and like this is, maybe this is more validation for my non-binary identity, that I am both of those things. <laughs> it's like, I I am both, I have been 45 minutes late for a date, and I have been uh, an hour early for a gig. Like... It's it, mm-hmm. it, it's a crapshoot with me. Like I'm yeah. usually <laughs> yeah. I'm usually it's not later than night. twenty minutes, girl. The duality. <laughs> Listen, that's a different episode. <laughs> truly, truly, truly. <laughs> Gemini uh, Sun. Anyway. 
Real quick. Yes. Back to medication. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. So there's all <laughs> oh, kinds. Right. There's there's all kinds, and you have to make sure you're and and, and the thing yes. about psychopharmacology, like the, the thing about psychopharmacology is it is nothing like treating inflammation. It's nothing like yeah. treating infection. Like you get an antibiotic for an infection, mm-hmm. you're good. You get, you know, some Tylenol for a headache or some Excedrin migraine for a migraine or Botox for a migraine. Like these are things that we know work. But largely in psychopharmacology, there are so many medicines that like, we're not really sure why this works, um, but it does. Mm-hmm. So, and then sometimes it just stops working. Um, and mm-hmm. especially yeah. with, with things like bipolar disorder, like I have, mm-hmm. and I will never forget, like I had gotten the diagnosis and I, I was kind of fucked up about it a little bit. Like I was trying not to let it. And I'm sure you guys remember when I was going through this process, mm-hmm. I was, I was talking to you guys too, because it was, it's mm-hmm. very scary. And like, so when I got the new diagnosis of bipolar two disorder, was it scary? Absolutely. But largely it was kind of relieving because it's like, okay, we're getting more specific because like it didn't like they were treating me for major depressive disorder and it wasn't working. And I thought it was me. And like, yes, it, the fact that I experienced psychotic symptoms is scary, but like psychosis isn't a bad thing. Like it's something that can be dangerous if untreated or unrecognized, but it's not like I'm not mm-hmm. bad or wrong or violent or any of those things. Absolutely. But because of the nature of that, it's much harder to medicate schizophrenia and bipolar disorder mm-hmm. uh because it's just so much harder to regulate like with depression like you're down. You're you're do, you're doing something wrong with your dopamine, or you're doing something. You're you're not doing something wrong with it, but your brain right. is doing your, your serotonin and your norepinephrine and all that. Yeah, all of those are wacky. all of those are a mm-hmm. little off. You know, the levels aren't quite right. Somebody needs to turn the gain mm-hmm. down. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, when you have when you have something like bipolar disorder, you know, bipolar one disorder is categorized by you know extremes of both depressive episodes and mania you you experience mm-hmm. long-term effects of both of them and you know it's not cute um and depress and uh bipolar 2 disorder you experience both depressive episodes and mania but the mania you experience is usually shorter it's still intense but it's usually shorter spurts it usually lasts for you know several days to a couple of weeks as opposed to like a month long mania and for me i didn't recognize those things as mania when the doctor because you know my vision of mania is what the media portrayed it to be you know (laughs) and the like that's like in some ways yeah that's it but it's a very extreme version of it and so like when Mm -hmm. i was you know being this risk taker and drinking too much and having sex with strangers or multiple strangers. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but like I wasn't doing it because I wanted to do it. I was doing it because I felt invincible and because I was, my body was just a live wire. Like it's mania for me manifests as this, like this current in my skin where it's like, Oh, I have to go. I have to do, I have to feel things because everything feels so intense and bright. And because I, I was, I have bipolar two. It's my depressive episodes that are super long. I have months and like, I have months and months of deep depression where Mm -hmm. my body hurts and is heavy and it's hard to get out of bed. So for me, 
what I was experiencing wasn't mania. I thought that's what normal people felt like. I was like, oh, this is what it is when depression isn't happening. And so medicating that is really hard because what do you medicate for? Mm -hmm. And so they put you on these antipsychotics and these mood stabilizers. And a lot of times that makes shit worse, especially, you know, for Mm -hmm. bipolar too. It's just, it's hard. Absolutely a journey, but, but finding the right one is so incredibly worth it. I just recently changed medication and it has made more of a difference than I ever like thought medication could. Cause I tried a whole bunch and they did mm-hmm. some stuff and I was like, Oh, okay. So this is probably as good as it gets, but it's not, not necessarily. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's helped me tremendously, even with my fibromyalgia pain. Like I don't, it doesn't, it's there, but it doesn't bother me as much because my mood is better. And so it's, like you're saying, it's incredibly difficult, but it's it's so worth it to get on medication, and it, mm-hmm. it can absolutely change things. Absolutely, for the and better. Something that I did not realize you could do was um, so I've I've been bounced around different medications mm-hmm. for for depression and anxiety and what the fuck ever. They're like, yeah, I'll try this one. That's been <laughs> going on for like ever. Um, <laughs> so I recently went to the Mayo Clinic. This is going to be a little bit of a commercial. I'm sorry. <laughs> They've been amazing. <laughs> No, no like seriously, it is next level. Honestly, it's next, different. The the two best medical institutions that I have heard like firsthand testimonials from in North America have been Kaiser and Mayo. Have been the two that people have consistently always talked just so positively about. So mm-hmm. please yeah. tell us about your experience with the Mayo Clinic, and if they want to sponsor us, we are open to it. absolutely um but anyway so the mayo clinic uh, i got referred there by my doctor for gi issues but during this whole thing basically i found out that a lot of brain medications can mess with your stomach bacteria Mm -hmm. um which no and so they (laughs) they sent me to what is called a pharmacogeneticist and yes, I'm saying that right, because I asked like a hundred times. And I was like, okay. And so basically they took my blood and they ran my DNA. And I was I had a whole meeting with her. This is like how all of my Mayo Clinic things, this was virtual, but it was like, it was like I checked in and she came on and she knew everything about me. Mm-hmm. She knew she had all of my shit in front of her because they talked to each other. So mm-hmm. my GI, when I yes. have CT scans, when I get blood tests, when I all of it's right fucking there. And they spend like a certain amount of time going through and becoming familiar. So she came on with me and she was like, I'm about to read your whole life. Are you ready? <laughs> and I was like, no. Um, <laughs> so she went through and she told me she explained how certain brain medications work. So she was like, I'm going to say some alphabet soup to you, but I'll explain it in a minute. So she was telling me the the specific strains of DNA that metabolize certain medications. So for instance, um, I am on Prozac in the morning and I'm on a very small dose. And I was like, and I've always been, my doctor has always tried to get me to go up because she's like, this is a pediatric dose. It shouldn't be affecting you. One of the things that she was able to tell me was that the gene that metabolizes Prozac and all of the other medicines in that family is sensitive. And what that means is that lower doses are going to be better and they have more of an effect on me than and higher doses could send me into serotonin syndrome. Mm. And that's something that you don't want to do because that's fatal. Yeah. Yeah, Speaking of. She also told me that another one of my genes is blocked completely 
And that one is the one that uh, metabolizes brain medicines like Paxil. Mm. Um, and I went on Paxil one time and thought I was fucking dying. Oh, so oh. ass whole ass thought I was dying. And she was like, yeah, that makes sense. You can't metabolize it. You're, you had serotonin syndrome. I'm surprised you didn't die. I was so, like, straight. So play Pokedex for me and, and the dear listeners that we have joining us. Tell us, tell us what, tell us a, a bit about serotonin syndrome. Okay. Serotonin syndrome. So serotonin syndrome is basically where you are taking a medication that is it does not do the correct thing it's supposed to do. It's supposed to basically gently nudge your body into creating the the good feely feelings. Mm-hmm. But it basically drowns your brain in the good feelings, uh, which is not good. And it ends up creating uh, a situation where you have a um, racing heart is, the, is one of the big ones. It's like, and not just like, oh, like not like, I just took my medicine and I'm kind of feeling, no, Mm. this is like, I feel like I am actively running and I'm not. Um, Sweating is another one. Dizziness, um, base nausea uh, was a big one. Um, And you can lose consciousness, just generally passing out. Um, But it's that, it's that feeling. I personally was overwhelmed. I locked myself in the bathroom and laid on the floor because it was cold um, and I was very sweaty, like, like very sweaty, yeah. <laughs> drenched. Like I had a towel on the floor with me. Um, yeah. and I, my heart was racing. I was in the bathroom cause I was throwing up and it was, I honestly, I was so dizzy. I couldn't stand. And I was like, this is it. Like, I remember thinking like, I'm dying. Yeah. This is it. This is like, and I fell asleep on the bathroom floor thinking like that was my last thought. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, holy shit like i thought like that was the worst night of my life and i was explaining this to this person and she was like yes and don't take anything else like and she was able to say this one this one this one and this one you can't metabolize them yeah oh my fucking god and that is and then she went okay this and then this one you are sensitive to these so if you do take them make sure you start in very low doses like oh i don't know Adderall, which I was taking. And so she recommended I switch to Ritalin, which I did. And it's better. I can metabolize Ritalin better than I can Adderall. And she literally was able to just read my fucking genes like a phone book, Mm -hmm. cross-reference with most brain medicines and be like, Mm -hmm. okay, here's a list of the ones that are good and the ones that are bad for you. Mm -hmm. Science is the best. Science. I just spent like 10 years of my life taking 14 different medications. Like, are you fucking serious? She could have done this sooner. So this is me telling everybody out there, you can get a pharmacogeneticist. And maybe so, in the clinic, but they exist other places. Right. With, you might with have insurance travel. and money. Well, and that's... Yeah. But and, they exist and they can do this. This is something that happens and they can do. And that is another thing that is important to touch on. And, and while, while we are yes. talking about the importance of therapy and the importance of medication, you know, we are not blind to the fact because you, I am in this conversation talking about these things. I am not currently mm-hmm. medicated. I am not currently in treatment because I cannot afford it. And I, and you know, Georgia Medicaid and Medicare are a joke and their coverage mm-hmm. for mental health issues is laughable. Um, we recognize that there is, there is a, there is a not, there is not 
an insignificant barrier of privilege to getting help for Absolutely. your mental health. And, you know, I, and so I would, I would, you know, say to those people, um, look into, especially people in marginalized and minority communities, you know, there are loads of community, um, organizations for LGBT and trans youth and adults to, and resources to help you get at least counseling. Um, there are loads of practitioners and, um, I will, by the time this podcast goes up, the channel on discord will be live for Lex talk about it. And I will be putting a channel in there that will have resource links and guides so that you have at least a jumping off point because it is not, insignificant it is not an insignificant journey and it is not an undaunting mm-hmm. beginning for sure mm-hmm. all of us recognize that um yeah. but it all it is yeah like all if you are getting medicated it is important that you get the right one to avoid serotonin mm-hmm. sickness or a dopamine overload if you are somebody who yes. has complex cpsd complex ptsd or um and honestly ptsd like you have more dopamine in your brain and so sometimes like a medicine like well wellbutrin which floods your brain with dopamine if you already have an excess of dopamine you're gonna feel really fucking awesome for about three days and then the psychosis is gonna kick in because your brain is so full of dopamine and this happened to a partner of mine she was that's on interesting because well, i was on wellbutrin for a long time and i never I never and had that issue. You, and so you might have – like your brain – came. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and it might have been the dosage that you were on. But mm-hmm. literally when when this person went to a doctor after this because they were going into fugue states. And oh. yeah, because like that's the thing is like the, the they were so flooded that their brain was like, ooh, dreamland. Like we're doing whatever. Wow. and. And yeah, and so when their doctor there saw what they were like, saw their history, saw what they were on, they were like, I need you to tell me who put you on this because I'm coming after their license. No yeah. one who has complex CPS, no one who has comp- CPTSD and the other things that you have should be put on this medication. Wow. Um, and so like you yeah 100% research your doctors ever that we live in the age of Yelp and Google review so 100% research your doctors if uh you have friends who do these things like talk to them look into your community to see what resources are available mm-hmm. because it's so hard to go through these things, especially alone. And there's only so much that having a community can do for you. Like I love my, mm-hmm. my spoony mm-hmm. friends, uh, and the, by spoonies, the people who subscribe to spoon theory, and I'm going to let you look that up. Uh, I'll put a <laughs> link to it in the discord. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like my fellow spoonies, my fellow mm-hmm. brain weasel suffers, like, I, I love them. And, you know, there is something to be said for that camaraderie and that sort of validation that you get in like, God, I'm so sick of, like, I can't do any more normies today. Like I can't, like they keep expecting this out of me and this out of me. And it's nice to like have somebody to say that to and be like, I know, right? Like, don't you just want to fucking like lay down? And it's like, but we can't cause capitalism, mm. but <laughs> there's only so much that we can do, especially God. if we're not 
if we're if we're just commiserating and not you know moving towards making things better um and that's Absolutely. you know one of my big critiques of mental illness of like mental health tiktok and uh mental health this is the same issue i had with mental health tumblr there are so many people on there advocating for uh self-diagnosis and here's the thing i am all about research i am all all mm-hmm. about going in with an idea of something or operating like seeing seeing yourself in something and be like this could be it and kind of trying to make those adjustments and use the tools that other people with that have used but i wouldn't like i wouldn't i would never have said that i have bipolar disorder before being diagnosed with bipolar disorder because of comorbidity which we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. like bipolar disorder can look like so many other things and bipolar disorder exists Mm -hmm. on a spectrum. So it's very hard for you as someone who isn't a clinician or someone who isn't Mm -hmm. a trained professional to say with any certainty that this is definitely what you have because there's a spectrum of so many different mental illnesses. People manifest it differently. Like bipolar disorder manifests differently in males and females. And my presentation, Mm -hmm. this is from, you know, the person who diagnosed me, my presentation of bipolar disorder is more in line with that of females than it is with that Mm -hmm. of males, which is one of the reasons that I went diagnosed as major depressive disorder for so long, other than the fact that bipolar disorder usually doesn't manifest until early twenties. Um, before that it's usually diagnosed as major depressive disorder. So it's really important 100% to do your research and have an idea because if you don't, a doctor is just going to be like, okay, well, whatever it's this. Mm -hmm. If, but if you can go in there, they shouldn't, they They shouldn't. And if they're good, (laughs) just in case anybody's wondering, they should, they they shouldn't do that. You can go in there and say, I have no idea what's happening and they should still Right. You know, do that and job, but, for, for those but of you're you, right, there's a lot of that won't. And for those of you having a hard time getting a diagnosis, if you are going in, especially with things like fibromyalgia and, um, yes, uh, fibromyalgia, thing, you, you mean the thing that people don't believe is real <laughs> that even some doctors still don't believe yes. is real. Quite, and quite a few doctors don't believe it's a real thing. They're like, ah, you're just crazy. It's right. Fine. And uh, and didn't it used to be called what chronic fatigue syndrome or was that something different? So those are two separate things. So okay. there's there's chronic fatigue syndrome, which is is more the tiredness and less the pain. Okay. Um, the fibromyalgia is is the main thing with the fibromyalgia is the, the chronic widespread pain. Right. Mm-hmm. Which of course winds um, up in tiredness because the whole everything you're doing, you're yes. battling to yeah. not pain be in and pain. Fatigue are like the two mm-hmm. biggies. Um mm-hmm. rain fog is is like number three um mm-hmm. as far as like the big, big symptoms go. But yeah, that kind of goes back to the whole comorbidity thing and, and why it is good to make sure you don't just self-diagnose. Because one, you can't mm-hmm. you can't prescribe your own medication. Exactly. Um and, and anything you can get by yourself is not going to be as effective as something, you know, that you can't. Um, mm-hmm. most of the time depends on, obviously there's a lot of factors that go into that, but, um, well, a pretty good segue into weed. Right. No, 100%. Into into, oh, uh, but my, my main point was, like, was with any sort of physical illness. God or mental damn it. Illness, I'm out of carts. You're all, you're leaving me out. It's my so show. No, it's fine. I'm uh, kidding. There's, there's I was so many supposed to order. That, yeah. So many symptoms that overlap. So like, just, just like for me, I have Mm -hmm. really bad time with my memory, especially short term memory. Um, That's Mm. a symptom of ADHD, ADD, depression, anxiety, CPTSD, and fibromyalgia. Mm. 
huh okay so like it's, uh-huh. it's a lot of a lot of do they stack they do they stack that- right on top Unlike discounts, unfortunately, it's like the that's opposite just of like, stackable discounts. That's just like so me it's, with it's my insomnia. Knows, yeah, it's it's important to get somebody who who truly knows the human body and how these things work. Because Help unless, you see the forest through the trees. School, exactly, exactly. They can pick out. Well, this is the thing that's important, mm-hmm. and this is just a consequence of those other things. That sort of thing, right? Um, and you should absolutely unless you're unless you have that sort of training, you, you're not going to be able to do that. And totally you should absolutely, and a, yeah. You should, it's, it's, it's talk talk to experts. That's what they talk are. to experts. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Talk to people from the community and people who are experiencing these things. And if those things sound like what yes. you're going through, you can go to the doctor with that and say, "Hey, yes, you know, I have been researching this, and this feels like it aligns with what I'm experiencing. Can we test for it?" And when and you, that's exactly what I did. Actually, yeah. that's when when I had my fibromyalgia diagnosis. At first, I was worried about something that was like autoimmune, um, but I did research. And I was like, "Well, I don't have." a lot of the like telltale symptoms. I just have the pain and the tiredness and all of that. So I did some more research and I went to my doctor and I was like, look, these are all of the symptoms that I have. I had to write them down because ain't no way I'm going to remember all that. Um, and I was like, this is what I think. And she's like, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it's autoimmune, but we'll test you for it anyway. And then, you, you know, go from there. Going in informed is really mm-hmm. important because you know what the doctor's talking about and you don't have to sit there just go, those are all words. You know, mm-hmm. which I know we've all done, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, so go uninformed, but make the, let, let the experts yeah. help you, I guess. And here's, kind of what I'm trying to say. here's a phrase that is going to change your medical journey. If you are having a hard time getting a diagnosis and you are seeing doctor after doctor and nothing's being done and nothing is being done intentionally, when you bring a concern up and they say, mm, I don't think that's a problem. You need to look them in the eye and say to them, I want it noted in my chart that you are electing not to test me. Mm-hmm. And they will turn around and test you so fast. Yeah, so unless there's a legitimate fast. reason that they can explain to you, I like, mm-hmm. hey, this is an expensive test and here's all the reasons you probably don't mm-hmm. have this thing. Mm-hmm. Unless they can do that, they'll yeah. under the test. Absolutely. Right. And I will also say just another plug here for Mayo Clinic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. When I went to that doctor, I had seen doctor, doctor, doctor since I, w- I was born about my GI issues. Yeah. And I went to this Mayo Clinic doctor and was like, so here's everything I've been experiencing. They want to do surgery on me to close up my esophagus. That's what they wanted to do. They had no reason. They didn't know. They were just kind of like, well, I don't know. Well, we could make your esophagus smaller. That was their answer. I went to this doctor at Mayo Clinic and he was like, okay, well, um, we could do a bunch of tests. And I was like, like what? And he started describing tests that I had never even fucking heard of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Never in my life. And I was like, I'm sorry? You yeah. can mm-hmm. test for that? And That's then he why sent specialists me out are so for important. Like, yeah. He sent me out for like an, two full weeks. It did suck. It was invasive and it sucked. But here at the end of it, like I have a good amount of diagnoses. And here's one of them. The biggest issue is gastroparesis. And you know, want to know what? Making my esophagus smaller wouldn't have helped that. It would have made it worse. Wanted to cut me open. That's a major surgery. Yeah. Like literally he was like, I don't know who told you that they wanted to do. I was like, they want to do surgery. And he goes, for what? Yeah. (laughs) That makes no sense. To make my esophagus smaller because I have all these issues. And he was like, why? (laughs) Why did they? 
Did they do this test? No. Have they ever done this test? No. Have they ever done this? No. It was a theme. (laughs) Like that was my big thing that like, I was so grateful for Mayo Clinic just because they tested me. They weren't interested in putting me on another medication or Mm -hmm. cutting me open. They were scientists first and foremost to the point where I had a pH tube in my stomach for like a day and they were like, okay, write down all, every time you eat, every time you lay down. And I was like, okay, do you want me to write down every time I smoke like weed? And they were like, and she, I thought she was going to be like, no, yes, no. Or maybe let me ask the doctor. But she turned around and she was like, do you mind? That's interesting. I'd love to see that. And I was like, yes, we love to see it. Like they're, they're, that's nerd, they're scientists, they're nerds. Mm-hmm. Like that's what they do. And speaking of weed, like that is something that if you can partake of it legally, um, as we have to say, if yes. <laughs> you can partake of it legally, I 100% recommend it. The times that I have been able to partake legally, it has helped immensely. It is one of those things that, can really especially not even like pain helps with that being able to eat helps with that and like for me like my main thing is like have there been times in my adolescence where i just was trying to get ripped absolutely (laughs) because i'm a kid and i did stupid stuff and i lived in the south and there's not much to do um but like as an adult like weed for me is much more about like just being able to function on that normal level and not have this constant cacophony of backtalk in my head about every decision I'm making, every word I'm saying, every thought I'm thinking and every feeling I'm feeling because, um, both because of my mental illness and my trauma, I have been taught Mm -hmm. to doubt my own thoughts and my own feelings, whether or not I know them to be factual, which is why I kind of talked about how I need words of affirmation, but I don't believe them. I grew up in a household Mm -hmm. being told I love you, but having the fear that, you know, being queer would make me lose that home and lose that love. Um, I have constantly been the person that friends are comfortable just abandoning and dropping. And so like, Uh, And I've gone through that very recently. Um, And so it's just, it's very um, hard for me to live alone inside my own head, Mm -hmm. which is where I got into the ADD thing of like, no, I can't have music with lyrics when I'm working on things, but I need, I need something else. And like, I can't sleep in silence. I have to have, I have baby, (laughs) right? Like I have to have like a talking podcast or something going on when I'm going to sleep, because if it's just music, when I'm, when I'm trying to go to sleep, no, my, my brain still goes because I'm not reading an article. I'm not writing. So when I'm going to sleep, I need a podcast to listen to. And Legends of Lanamora is a great one to like get you in the mood. But no, (laughs) truly, like I just need something that is going to fill my head and give me comfort. And it's great to have that tool because I don't want to be on sleeping medication against. I get real weird on sleeping medication. <laughs> a lot of people yeah, do. Yeah, I knew without but, sleeping medication, that'd be great. <laughs> but let me tell you, a little bit of indica, a lot of a Absolutely. podcast, and it is smooth and sailing. Then I don't need fucking, and then you don't need these like heavy ass sleep medications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ambien. Like that you're gonna wild. tell me, trazodone. Me, like, I was on trazodone. Weed. You're going to tell me that me smoking smoking a joint is worse than me taking a trazodone every night. Right. Lost your mind. I was – the first time I was 
prescribed trazodone. I believe I was in the sixth grade. Shut the fuck up. They should be arrested. I was in the sixth grade. And I think I was on, I think I was on five milligrams of, and, (gasps) and the first time my mother gave me this pill, we were at a basketball game because we were trying to get me in the routine of doing it. Um, we were in a basketball game and I passed out on the bleachers and I had I was, to be. I was going to say, were you just completely asleep? I was, the I was whole time? completely asleep and had to be dead man carried onto the bus because it was an away game. So I had to be dead man carried onto the bus and laying across the bus. And, and the reason that doctors had this extreme reaction, like, I don't want to make it like, yes, the doctors probably shouldn't have done this, but I don't want to make it no. sound like they are shitty doctors. <laughs> I have always been a giant. I have, I am six foot one now and have been six foot one since like the eighth grade okay that doesn't change the fact that they put you on trazodone in the sixth grade well i was they still should not have done that i was also on 54 milligrams of concerta which is the legal maximum of concerta because it is is a schedule one narcotic um (laughs) they people who are medicating you should be in prison Unfortunately, knowing what my my brother was on a lot of things like that it it was just kind of the time it's just it's just how it was done um yeah because i'll say that my mom did not like apparently some teachers did tell my mom that i had adhd when i was a kid like a like in elementary Mm -hmm. school and she basically was like no because Mm -hmm. if i if she did take me to a doctor they would immediately put me on like a super high dose of of Mm -hmm. adderall most likely and fuck my shit up and she knew that that she was like well that's not what she needed and then just pretended i didn't have it because also not, not the best choice but because you know, often ta- oftentimes especially back then the goal wasn't having the child live their most fulfilling life and their best mm-hmm. life it was compliance and so yes. heavier medications meant better compliance but i wasn't even t- like i had been on concerta i had been on like five 54 milligrams of concerta since like the last half of my fifth grade year or the first half of my oh sixth my God, grade oh year God, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is also set me up really bad for my life because because it's such a strong stimulant yeah. it gave me i've never had a full-blown eating disorder um i have been close and at times in my life for sure uh but um it did set me up for disordered eating in that like because i was on this really heavy stimulant medication i would forget to eat like i just because i would not be hungry and Mm -hmm. i would be busy doing other things i would be working i would be doing this because i could because i could focus and so like it was this moment of like oh shit like i I ballooned out my senior year because I stopped taking medication and I suddenly felt hungry. And I was like, what mm-hmm. the fuck is food? This is new. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, so I gained my freshman 15, my senior year <laughs> high school. And like, just, and it was, it was crazy because like, yeah, I spent my entire life not being hungry and forgetting to eat. And I still to this day will do that because I, that's what mm-hmm. I was set up for from fifth grade until like my senior year of high school. And so like my eating mm-hmm. habits are very bad. And I'm very kind of all or nothing when it comes to eating. And mm-hmm. so like, that's why we have to be cognizant of these things. Another thing, like I have IBS now because I had to be on antibiotics and things so regularly as a kid. And it fucked up my, my, my gut bacteria. Like yeah. that's why I have IBS. 
Mm-hmm. I have it because I also have fibromyalgia. Right. <laughs> apparently they're <sighs> comorbid. comorbid. <laughs> it's great. Gastroparesis. Yay. Man. IBS sisters. The- the word, <laughs> the word of the day is comorbid. Uh, like, <laughs> honestly, but See, what we're trying to show you is that things overlap. We yes. we all three have have different variations Everybody. and and colors on this beautiful mental health rainbow. Everybody's but, a bit diagram. Right. We all have shades of each other. Like it, it's what that's why you need to talk to a professional nine times out of ten to actually get the correct diagnosis for you because you can go your whole life thinking well i just have adhd and then you find out you're autistic (laughs) so like again haven't had full (laughs) tests because my my i haven't had it yet but i have talked to my doctor who has been like yeah it's a possibility (laughs) yeah and like that's the thing and like again get you tested but yeah and like, I was and, like okay and that's the thing is like so many people even people who are exposed to it will would like if like say there's you know a neurotypical mother of you know somebody who is on the autism spectrum but their autism doesn't look like yours they would be like well you don't have autism because you don't look like my son and it's like i'm not, not supposed to like and, and that's another reason why we can't like again like research and and talking to the community is important but if you can get access to a professional, please do because, you know, everything in our, even our health, like everything else in the human experience is colored by our own experiences. So I am going to see certain symptoms and point to, oh, this, because those are the symptoms that I have that are related to this thing about me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I am coming at it from a, from a particular lens of experience. And mm-hmm. I think you know, we all are beautiful snowflakes and so unique that we just, we, we need that confirmation, you know, um, mm-hmm. 100%. I'm not saying that you're wrong or stupid. If you think that you have depression because you display a lot of the same symptoms as your friend, 100% not. I thought I had depression. Turns out it's, it's spicy depression. Cause, <laughs> cause sometimes I feel like I can race a train. Uh, <laughs> but that and, also undercuts it because then later you're like, but sometimes I'm fine. That's right, like, right. I could read a book. And that and yes, like when people exactly the beginning. When people talk when when you tell a neurotypical person, oh, they stopped taking their medication because they felt better, why would they do that? First of all, you were telling me I shouldn't be on medication in the first place. But second of all, because when I have a cold and I treat the cold and then I feel better, I don't need that medicine anymore. So clearly you know, so it, it, it's this really dangerous trap. And so I hope with our conversation mm-hmm. today, I don't hope that we've changed your mind. I don't hope that we've changed your life, but I do hope that you can take something from this. And and mm-hmm. if you take nothing else, take away that it's a process and nobody expects you or your doctor to know everything after one test and even after diagnosis we don't expect you to overnight have the tools to deal with your illness um it it, i am still learning new and healthier coping mechanisms 
Um, and sometimes I lament that sometimes it is sad to lose your maladaptive coping mechanisms. It, you know, like the other day Mm -hmm. I was trying to just retreat into this daydream of like, okay, well, if this doesn't happen, then I can do this, this, and this, and this. And, and, you know, my brain went, why are you doing that? You know, that's not how this works. You know that we need Mm -hmm. to address the problem that's happening. And so once you start to kind of unpack things and start to make change, it really does stick. And sometimes that's Mm going to suck. And sometimes you're going to wish you could just jump back into the river denial, but Uh it's, it's, um, it, it, that means that what you're doing is working and you are mm-hmm. healing. And just remember that it's messy and completely. And it's not linear. It completely is not linear. non-linear. Sure. Completely non-linear. Completely personal. It is, it is an incredibly personal journey. And yes. My journey looks like spin art. Nobody can tell you what your journey should look like. The only thing anybody should ever try to do is walk with you on the trail and be happy mm. that you invited them. Mm, that's pretty. That's a great that's very nice. <laughs> I want to thank my lovely guests, my sisters and my pod mates. Sarah, is there anything that you would like to plug? Any final thoughts that you would like to leave with our dear <laughs> listeners? Um, no, I do have a public Instagram. Yeah. At Sarah Hope Gibson, if you like pictures of animals and or my face. Um, And flowers uh, and like pretty cool stuff. And she's smart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I have the best friends in the whole world. Um, No, that's that's about it. I really appreciate you bringing me on. I always feel like it's it's so important if you're at the point where you can talk about what you've been through to do so. Because there's somebody who's going to be out there listening who's going to say, oh. That's familiar. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're not at that point, listen to people who are. There's a lot of people out there. Honestly, forums online are a great place to be like, oh, I recognize that. Somebody else is experiencing that and sort of getting that mm-hmm. not alone feeling and getting an idea of what you're, you know, what you're feeling and, and how to, to go forward. And then, you know, once you do get to that place where you could talk about it, talk about it. Because everybody, everybody has something that they're struggling with and there's going to be somebody out there who can relate to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Emily. Um, you cannot perceive me. Um, no. <laughs> you can find me. That's my line. She's right, though. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, most likely. Uh, I am at Neurotic Good. Um, I also am part of the Legends of Lanamora podcast. We, uh, it's a 5e D&D uh, actual play podcast. It comes out every other Tuesday. And as far as a final thought, uh, I think that my final bit of information is or like piece of advice would be. Even if you think that you you don't have affirmations that you make during the day. If you are someone that practices negative self-talk, where you talk down to yourself, I'm so stupid, I can't believe I forgot this, God, I can't do anything right, of course I would do this. And I do a lot. I'm here to tell you, you do have affirmations. And those are them. And they're not good, but they are affirming something that you believe about yourself, which is that you're stupid and you, you can't do it. And of course, this bad thing is happening. 
So whether or not you believe in, in, in putting the goodness out in the universe and getting it back, I can tell you that your negative self-talk, if that is something that you do, because it's something that I personally struggle with, it is causing you psychic damage. Every 100%. day you were taking negative, you were taking negative points, psychic damage. So try to have some fucking grace with yourself, yes. just as you would give to others. Mm-hmm. When you do something wrong and make a mistake and you want to say, I'm so stupid, just kind of be like, things happen. Yeah. Radical acceptance. I'm going to radically accept this, that this is happening and just do the next thing because mm-hmm. there's nothing else I can do about it. Yeah. Talking negative and down to yourself is only going to create more negative energy. 100%. To piggyback off of things that both of you two have said, I want to remind you, dear listener, that you don't owe anyone anything from yourself except kindness. You owe the world the kindness that they owe you to be a human being that lives your experience and is just trying to get through life. You aren't required to share your struggles, but if you are in a place where you can, all the more beautiful, but it is all in your own time. Practice kindness to yourself and kindness to others will follow. And I want to remind everyone that truth without tact is cruelty. Mm. That expands to others as much as it does yourself. You Mm. wouldn't be truthful in a way that was vicious or hurtful to your friends. And just because your brain is telling you that this is a version of the truth, what is the whole truth? Look at the other things around it. That being said, if you're interested in anything else I have to say, you can find me here on this podcast. Let's talk about it. You can find a live version of this show on our monthly live streams that happen at the end of the last Saturday of every month on Mm -hmm. Twitch at uh, Novi underscore studios. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can also find me on some upcoming projects that are very exciting. We're very excited to premiere here on, uh, Novi Studios. Uh, you can also find us over on Discord. We have a great community budding there. Um, and we have several pages uh, within the Let's Talk About It channel uh, where you can find uh, programs to help with mental health or programs for social change uh, and where you can uh, – find help unpacking the things that might be a little bit heavier on the show that all being said please remember to be kind to yourself be kind to others and i love you for joining us and contributing to this conversation Mm -hmm.